Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV the most invaded our lives. I'm your host, boy genius, Rod, and I'm joined by... His go-ram wife, Jess. <laughs> go-ram. Go-ram wife. Yep. Hey, welcome. If you're new to the show, let us explain. Jess and I, we talk movies, music, and TV. Today, we're going to talk about TV from the year 2002. Yeah. We have looked at a list of every television show that debuted in the year 2002, and we've decided which one each of us had watched the most in our lives. Not our favorites, not you know, not just one we just want to talk about. No, no, no. The one that invaded our life the most, the one we've seen the most of. Yeah. It's the boob tube episode. Yep. And I mean, I would say, I would hazard to say this is probably my favorite show from that year. Yeah. As well. It happens to be both. Your show is my favorite show from that year, probably too. <laughs> but you'd never seen it before. I me. didn't, and it's we'll great. Get there. Yeah. Uh, second segment. <laughs> Uh, for my, we're going to talk about my show and we, 2002, we've reached the point where I'm going to be aging out of cartoons, but not yet. <laughs> not quite. We're not, we're, you know, th this is not our last cartoon, but it is close. Mm. Also, I think, uh, within the last couple episodes have been nearing four hours long. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> we could make it, we could make it work. No. Come on. We're wasting enough time already bantering. Let's talk about my show. All right. Debuting July 22nd, 2002 on Nickelodeon, created by John A. Davis, featuring the voice talents of Debbie Derryberry, Rob Paulson, Jeffrey Garcia, Carolyn Lawrence, Crystal Scales, Mark DiCarlo, Megan Cavanaugh, and Frank Welker. The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. Three, three, two, two. Can I say? I don't think I've ever heard you introduce the title of the show with less enthusiasm. <laughs> it's like the Jimmy Neutron show. I'm like, this was this was never my favorite show. And it's like, we're looking at all these, like I was a huge, we've talked about, we've talked a lot of Nicktoons. Mm -hmm. This is going to be our last Nicktoon, by the way. Oh, and what a way to go out. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I love SpongeBob SquarePants. I love all, uh, uh, you know, Hey Arnold, we've talked about. Uh, Rugrats was still going strong at this time. We we talked like one of my runners up was As Told by Ginger, which is an incredible show. Yeah, we're going out. Our Nicktoons grand finale is The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, <sighs> and I like it. It it was just something I watched because it was on. You know. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And yeah, it's it's vaguely noteworthy because if you haven't seen Jimmy Neutron, it is the first three D animated Nicktoon. Most most Nick all Nicktoons up to that point had been traditionally animated two D right. cartoons. This is a 3D animated thing, like Shrek. Yeah. And it which is a novelty at the time. Yeah. Okay, what what 3D animated TV shows do you remember being on air at that time? None. I don't even know what that time was. <laughs> it was like, in America, it was Beast Wars, Transformers, oh. and Roly Poly Oli, and that was about it. I do remember Roly Poly Oli. Roly Poly Oli wasn't a bad show. Wait, is that the Th one that where was they like do a the baby noodle show. dance? Yes. No, 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 no. That, <laughs> or is that the one with his neighbor had a blockhead? That one. 
Okay. One. And it was like, yeah. oh yeah, the other one's PB and J. And he had, he had a he had a grandpa. <laughs> he had a grandpa. He did. I don't. Re- that was. Oh, a sh- I remember that show. He had like, a grandpa. And it was like Playhouse Disney. And he had a family, and they had a grandpa to live with them. That was all I remember from that show. I didn't. That's I was too regrets. old to be watching Roly Poly Oli. Okay, so what are you trying to say? I I'm older than you, and I remember more than you. So what are you trying to say, sir? I'm just saying, like, that was about it as far as 3D animated goes. And then, oh, uh, Canada had reboot. <laughs> I don't remember that. I we we were in Canada. That's that was true. like the biggest show ever. What about Canada. Code Lyoko? That was that's ha- probably later. hadn't debuted yet. Yeah. yeah. So like Jimmy Neutron was definitely unique, uh, but I, I don't know, man. I'm no I'm no fan of Jimmy Neutron. Okay. Okay. But we looked through, and it's like somehow I've seen every episode of Jimmy <laughs> Neutron, at least close to it. This so is his. It blew fault. every runner up out of the water because they're like 80 episodes of the show. And because he is a man of dignity and honesty he couldn't just fub the numbers so we could watch something else nope what's your history with jimmy neutron uh i'm pretty sure i saw the movie and i definitely caught some episodes and that's my history (laughs) no no uh no memories you know associated with the show no (laughs) should i should i what are your memories did you like the movie i can't remember there were aliens egg aliens yeah was it like moms needs mars or something yeah, okay. They captured adults. Me too. Uh, just like you, I also saw the movie in the theater because mm-hmm. uh, that was the thing. It was, I was watching a lot of Nickelodeon at the time, and they put because Nickelodeon produced that movie, they pushed it hard. And you know, I got caught up in the marketing, and I went to the theater. Yep, that while makes it was sense. Running and watched it, and it's about egg aliens come to Earth and steal the parents of a town, and that town just so happens to be occupied by Jimmy Neutron, boy genius. Who decides he's going to rescue his parents. Yeah. After getting annoyed. But I'm pretty sure all the kids are like, yeah, no parents yeah. doing stuff. It was like a kids in cahoots moment where yeah. like all the parents are gone. So they just like eat all the junk food and party all day. And then they realize that you can't live your life that way. Let's get our parents back. <laughs> Who's going to fix our boo-boos? Who's going to? Yeah, I feel like that's definitely an inciting incident to building a spaceship yeah but i've only seen that movie once i saw it in the theater and i maybe maybe caught part of it if it aired on nickelodeon Mm -hmm. after that but yeah i I don't think anyone thought that there was going to be a show after but it was like already in production and already ready to go they knew what they were doing yeah yeah. so it it, this is one of those rare things where it was like movie then cartoon yeah then tv show yeah and you know i just watched it when it was on and it was on all the time. It was on all the time. I, I, I lumped this show up with like uh, Fairly Odd Parents, which is another show I don't particularly like, mm-hmm. but it was always on anyway. It was always. Both of those shows were always on. They just had so many episodes. Fairly Odd Parents, I think, was like one of their highest rated shows at the time. Yeah, like, I mean, under, I enjoyed under it. Under SpongeBob. I did. I do not enjoy SpongeBob. <laughs> I might now as an adult, but as a kid, I was like, I don't get why people find this funny. I don't like it. It's very annoying, but maybe I'll get some of the jokes now that it's I'm. It's very absurd. <sighs> absurd doesn't. Do Jimmy it for Neutron me. feels that the comedy in Jimmy Neutron though is like very kid comedy. Yeah, it's not good. Not we will talk about the <laughs> jokes in the show because they come a mile a minute, and they're not good. It's very <laughs> like, it's not even random humor like SpongeBob. It's just kind of hyperactive humor. Mm, too much sugar humor. Yeah, like mm. little kids, like they, they, they think jokes little kids would tell. It's horrible. We'll talk about it. But I can talk about how the, the making of the show and the, this this whole uh, movie becoming cartoon business. Do it. 
Jimmy Neutron was the brainchild of American film director, writer, animator, voice actor, and composer John A. Davis, who, alongside collaborator Keith Alcorn, founded DNA Productions in 1987. That's the the, the production logo you see at the end of it, every Jimmy Neutron. I'm Paul. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> you, you, you recognize that? Did that recall anything for you, kids? <laughs> That's the uh, the logo for DNA Productions. I have a fact on that one. Uh, until 2002, DNA Productions mascot was a purple cat with a double helix tail named Helix the Cat. Cute. From 2002 to 2006, Helix the Cat was replaced with a computer animated three-eyed chimpanzee named Paul. Yep. Named after and voiced by one of their employees, Paul Clearhout. Adorable. Um, I still quote that. Oh, anytime I meet a Paul. We have a friend named Paul, and hey, Paul, hi, yeah, I go, I'm Paul. I always go, hi, Paul. <laughs> I just skip the I'm. <laughs> and uh, I guess that comes from, like, they made like a like a Christmas card video at the office one time, and it was like they were introducing themselves, and it's like everyone told a joke, and then Paul very dryly just goes, hi, I'm Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Paul. And it's like an inside joke. Ugh. An inside joke that became an outside joke. Anyway, prior to that, uh, Davis and Elkhorn, the pair had uh, worked together at a Texas-based animation company, K&H Productions, where they did production work for commercials, public access television, and film festivals. That's pretty cool. Like, th- like they were doing animation. They are just animators. You yeah. Know? Working dudes in Texas. Because ah. uh, this, this show, like, uh, John A. Davis is a proud Texan. And uh, you, you actually, there's a lot of Texas that kind of bleeds into Jimmy Neutron. Oh. Like his town that he lives in, Retroville, is very uh, Texas influenced. Huh. I, th- I think it's like, I think uh, Retroville, Texas is what it's like, you know, officially. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. During the 90s, DNA production worked on various projects like the 1994 Fox children's show AJ's Time Travelers. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. The 1994 television film. Attack of the five foot two inch woman. <laughs> Don't know that one. That that's not that's a regular sized woman. <laughs> I think that's the joke. <laughs> uh, the Weird Al show. I no. didn't watch it, but I know Weird Al. Oh, I've never heard of Weird Al show. I've yeah, he had a he had Al. a little he had like a variety. It was like Pee Wee's Playhouse, but with Weird Al. Boo! Never say it again. MTV's Cartoon Sushi, which was their basically their what a cartoon show. Okay. MTV thing. And the 1999 holiday special, All of the Other Reindeer. I'm sure you've seen that one, or at least maybe even the clips for it. It was like a 2D animated little dog that needs to save Christmas. It's like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it's a little dog. Named Olive? Named, named Olive. It was actually very, very cute. So I mean, it sounds adorable. It also sounds like it was a children's book. <laughs> it was a children's show. I remember that was also being like promoted to... I don't know if it was on... T- like. TV commercials or if they like put it as like previews on VHS tapes that we had. Hmm. Nope. She does not recognize all of the other reindeer, but I do. <laughs> so they're the olive folks. Davis had conceived the idea for Jimmy Neutron in the 1980s when he scripted and storyboarded a short titled Runaway Rocket Boy, centering around a character named Johnny Quasar, inspired by a nickname given to him in his youth. Uh, he was at, like uh, Johnny Davis. Uh, he's like a big uh, space enthusiast. 
okay. yeah he like he 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 takes like he actually takes celestial pictures with telescopes and stuff cool. like that's like one of his hobbies so i was, you know when he was a kid he was probably really into rocket ships and nasa and stuff mm-hmm. so they called him johnny quasar ah. jimmy he's... jimmy neutron is very much him Got like, it. as a little boy so i mean you would say he's like a professional astronaut <laughs> he's a... <laughs> no he's a hobbyist uh, one okay. day, I think one day he will actually start selling, uh, like, telescope photos. So he's a, whatever that job is. Photographer? <laughs> professional. Artist? Artiste? He's a professional cartoonist. He's a professional astrophotographer. Ah. But not a professional astronaut. He, I mean. Unless he's done simulations. <laughs> so anyway. we're, do- we're doing inside jokes here. Hey, excuse me. Paul's an inside joke. Why can't shout, we... shout out to what was that show you watch? Oh, uh, Reddit on Wiki and Two Hot Takes. They're two podcasts where people read uh, Reddit posts by horrible people. I mean, they're not all horrible. There's some wholesome ones and good ones in there, but this particular one was a little bit um, a lot. Davis intended to produce a live action feature film based on the project, going as far as to apply for a grant to fund it. Oh, wow. But was forced to shelve the project when he couldn't secure the funding. Yeah, in the 80s? That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty cool. Do you think he was going to try to do it 2D? No, no. He said it was going to be a live action show. Like, he was going to make, like, a little, like, like E.T. style, you know, little sci-fi kids film. With terrible children actors. Probably, yeah. Could have gone the way of Mac and me. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah, he just needed to get, like, a a McDonald's tie-in. He could have went to Burger King and said, hey, let's make this... Let's make a Burger Burger King tie-in, oh Johnny Quasar. Wow. That's all he needed to do. Or Whataburger, if he's in Texas. Hey. Go to Wa- Whataburger. We could have had a Whataburger movie. We could have had a Whataburger movie. Davis stumbled upon the abandoned script years later while moving. By that time, DNA Productions had been experimenting with the burgeoning medium of 3D animation. And Davis realized that his science fiction script would be a perfect fit for a CGI film. Nice. And uh, I think... By this point, yeah, at this point in time, Toy Story had not existed yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Pixar was a, a a big like deal in the 3D animated space because they were making like short films. But yeah, so it sounds like this guy, Dave, John A. Davis, had the same idea of a CGI animated movie mm-hmm. at the same time that the Pixar guys did. Yeah, you know, all thoughts are not had in a chasm. So that's cool. And he had his own uh, company, so nobody could tell him no. Yep. That's why Davis and Alcorn produced a 40-second proof-of-concept demo film, which depicted Johnny and his robot dog, Goddard, (laughs) as well as developed a story bible outlining a potential television series. So they already had that idea, too. Huh. Let's make a, you know, a movie and a TV show. I wonder if they were pitching it as well, just like a movie or a TV show, and then someone was like, both. Why not both? Sort of. All right, bet. Sort of. So uh, I think this this like little proof of concept demo thing, it basically just depicted Johnny Quasar, who's Jimmy Neutron, mm-hmm. and his dog like fly onto screen in a rocket ship, and they go like, "Hi, I'm Johnny Quasar," you know, <laughs> it's just like introduce himself and then he flies away, and it was a huge hit. Oh, okay. On the uh, the the CGI animated circuit. Hmm. The the Adventures of Johnny Quasar, as it was called premiered at the 1995 SIGGRAPH CGI convention. And that's where the uh, Pixar got all those SIGGRAPH conventions that were Pixar got their acclaim at the time. Mm. That's where they would premiere all their short Shorts, films. okay. Yep. 
where it garnered a lot of attention within the industry. It received extensive press coverage, won two awards, and eventually caught the eye of writer, director, actor, and comedian Steve Odekirk. Never. You you know. Wait, wait. Never heard of him. Odekirk? Or heard of him. You know Odekirk, and I will tell you why. At that time, Odekirk was perhaps best known as the director of 1995's Ace Ventura When Nature Calls and the writer of 1991's High Strung. You know Ace Ventura. Yes. But he would go on to write 1996's The Nutty Professor and 1998's Patch Adams, create the Thumbs series of short films. You know Thumbs? No. Thumb Wars? No. That was when I when I, when I was a little kid. They were like these VHS tapes where he would basically draw faces. Mm-hmm. Or no, 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 no. It was like he would super impo- like composite like faces onto oh, Thumbs. The thing that, okay. And he would re- make parody films of other classic movies and thumb wars was his star wars parody so he had little thumbs with faces that would tell jokes about star wars and my friend aaron had it on vhs so we would watch it (laughs) but he did a bunch of them okay yeah so the, the thumbs parody series and he would go on to write direct and star in kung pao enter the fist oh no oh no he's that guy oh no yeah, Jimmy Neutron, a lot of folks who worked on it would go on to make other things that you're like, oh, wow, that's that's involved. That's, that. I mean, breeding ground for, like, yeah. creativity. So the same time Jimmy Neutron is hitting TV screens is the same time Kung Pao Under the Fist is coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I like Kung Pao Under the Fist. I haven't seen it in a while, but that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> Odekirk saw a still shot of Johnny and Goddard in a CGI magazine and was impressed by the character's designs. He subsequently cold called Davis requesting to see a tape of the full short. After watching the demo and seeing the developed show Bible, Odekirk expressed interest in helping to pitch the concept to different television networks. So he was really the guy who got it off the ground. Sometimes you just got to catch the eye of an eccentric millionaire. I don't know about a millionaire. An, but sec- an eccentric hundred thousand heir. Someone, someone in the industry. With, an eccentric. With a little bit of clout. <laughs> DNA Productions, alongside Odekirk's O Entertainment Production Company, pitched a revised Johnny Quasar project to Nickelodeon in fall 1995. To much enthusiasm. Ooh. Albie Hecht, then president of Nickelodeon, was particularly impressed seeing Quasar as, quote, half Bart Simpson and half Albert Einstein. Two things about that. Accurate. And the other one, his name is Albie Hecht. Yeah. We, we've talked about him before. In Have our, we? Like, did I Nick make Toon. the same thing? Where like, it's like, what the hecht? Yeah. I'll be darned. <laughs> Except I'll be hecked. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say um, Bart Simpson meets smart boy. Yeah. It's kind of what it is. Nickelodeon commissioned a 13 minute pilot episode, which would spend over two years in production. Because well, I mean, 3D it's a an- lot, yeah. rigging and animating. Yeah, and it's a lot. <laughs> so, like 3D animation takes a long time. That's mm-hmm. why I think 3D movies are in production for so long. Well, I mean, most animated movies in general. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the time is cut a little bit now that we're in the future, but especially at the beginning of it all. No, that like two years. Yeah, this was a pioneering right. medium. In the meantime, DNA Productions alongside Odekirk co-produced the 1997 NBC television variety show, The O Show. Never watched that. And the 1997 holiday special, Santa vs. the Snowman 3D. Okay. Also didn't watch that. No, I don't know any of these things. 
A lot of Christmas specials with these guys. Maybe it's their favorite holiday. The pilot, now titled Jimmy Neutron at the request of Nickelodeon, was completed in 1998. Why do you think they asked for the title change? Because they were trying to avoid copyright issues. So there was already a Captain Quasar video game mm. and Johnny Quest. Oh, uh, fair. So they were like, let's not. Let's just keep it moving. Yeah, let's name him Jimmy and change Quasar to Neutron. <laughs> Even though, like, no one knows Captain Quasar. No one cares about that. I mean, still, copyright is copyright. They can come after you. Yeah. And we put a lot of time, money, and effort into this. Yeah, so Jimmy Neutron is what it is. Nickelodeon executives, intrigued by the prospect of reusing the same CGI models and assets for multiple projects, pitched the idea of creating a theatrical film to accompany the TV series, much to the surprise of Davis and his team at the studio. Huh, because they were already thinking. Yeah, it about makes it. sense. It's like if you're gonna make if you're gonna make a TV show and you're gonna create all these assets and 3D mm -hmm. models, you could just reuse them. Yeah. Because you've already made them yeah. for a TV for a for a movie. It makes sense. And then uh Davis suggested, hey, let's make like let's produce the movie first with the bigger budget so that we'll have more high quality 3D models to use for the TV show. And Nickelodeon, they went for it. Yeah, and that makes sense. That's a smart move. Smart move, Quasar. <laughs> the film Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius was greenlit in fall 1999 with a budget of roughly $30 million. Mm -hmm. That's pretty like, honestly, that's not really that high of a budget. I, I $30 million. 30 million. Yeah, I know, but like in TV, I mean, for like film budget, that's not too much. Um, especially like, considering a 3D animated movie. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's still a lot of money. Nickelodeon and the producers agreed that the film would precede the television series with a series of short TV interstitials set to air beforehand to build up hype for the film, which it, it did. Yeah. It got me, it got my butt in the seat. It was, that's, it was great marketing. They, I, sometimes I like YouTube will like recommend stuff to me and it's like there's a big culture now on YouTube of like trying to refine uh, lost media. That's like a big thing. Mm -hmm. Like a bunch of media historians are trying to find lost media. Right. And one such lost media was like they were trying to find every element because what 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 happened is like while you're watching like Spongebob, for example, right? They would have like Jimmy Neutron, the character with Goddard would show up on the screen mid show mm -hmm. and would mess around with elements on the screen. Right. And people were trying to collect every One Jimmy Neutron interstitial where he would interact with the screen. Hmm. So yeah, I, I, sometimes I'll, YouTube will little rec recommend like found lo Jimmy Neutron lost media. <laughs> and I was like, cool. Good for you guys. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius was released on December 21st, 2001. It was a box office success, grossing $103 million worldwide. Whoa. So, you know, three times its budget. Yeah. And it garnered generally positive reviews from critics. It was even nominated for the inaugural Academy Award for Best Animated Feature in 2001. Oh. But it lost to... Shrek. It did. <laughs> we talked about that. We did. But I'm just saying, Academy Award nominated Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. You could say that. Yeah, you could. Let's not. That must. That's such. Like, I want to like applaud the the minds. Quasar behind that. And like, that's a lot of. He was like, I wanted to make this since the eighties, and now I'm a nominated Oscar. It's a it's a dream come true. Honestly, yeah. like it's it's a real like heartwarming tale of yeah. like determination and just like good luck. Yeah. 
Good job. Yeah. And good luck and good hard work. Yeah. And happening to, yeah, luck finding this thing you wrote forever as you were moving. Like, oh. We should rename this guy Johnny Hustle. Ha ha. Ha ha. It's a better call Saul joke. Oh, boo. I take back both of my laughs. We can, we can call Jimmy Neutron Slippin' Jimmy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Once production wrapped on Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, the team immediately pivoted to production on the TV show. They did have to adjust their production pipeline to accommodate deadlines and stay under budget, though, mm. which makes sense. It's yeah. like, hey, let's slow things down. Let's, you know, get things because I'm sure Nickelodeon was like, hey, we're on the TV show. Get it yeah. out. But they're like, hey, hey, this is a lot harder than than you think. Yeah. Either way, I'm I am impressed. I'm impressed by the quality of this television show. <laughs> by it just, you know, it's like they. They produced the sh like the first season of the show in under a year. Dang. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and the art is a little janky, but it holds up. It holds up really well. Yeah. All things considered, and like I think they produced a full season. Yeah. What, it, what is a full season? Twenty episodes. I mean, cartoons are different though. Sometimes it's more than twenty-two. Mm. Okay. So the the first season. Nineteen episodes. Still. Yeah, yeah. So they produced almost a full, like, normal traditional season of television in a year. Plus the movie. <laughs> Plus a movie. So yeah, very impressive. Very impressive. They, very got, they impressive. got it all done. Uh, so good job, boys. Good job, young men. <laughs> and that is uh, the making of Jimmy Neutron: The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. We can talk about the episode we watched. Well, I have a question before we do that. Yes. If it's based on uh, him growing up in his whole town, did he have a Sheen? He, okay, uh, we'll talk about Sheen when we introduce him, but a lot of the characters are all like elements of himself when he was a boy. Oh. So it's parts of his personality and things he liked. Got uh, it. We'll talk about Sheen in a second. All right, then all right. let's jump in about the episode. All right, so the first episode of Jimmy Neutron is a double episode because typically Jimmy Neutron will have two shorts, two 15-minute mm -hmm. short episodes put together. Right. That was like a full episode of Jimmy Neutron. Um, this episode is a two-parter, so two, like, th full 30-minute episode yeah. of one plot. Yes. Uh, and that plot is called, When Pants Attack. It's very, um, 1950s monster movie stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, that, even this music... And the the production or the the, the title card uh, is very 1950s monster movie. Yeah, and you can see a lot of the influence in Jimmy Neutron. The the things that Davis and his crew liked. Yeah, they you know it's clear that they're drawing influence from all the the different like you know hobbies and and media that they watched as a kid. Mm -hmm. So monster movies, comic books. Action figures, westerns, yeah. space stories, you know, lost in space. Yeah. Even though, like, I don't know how, when he was born, but even the, like, household that uh, Jimmy lives in. The rest of them feel a little bit, like, less like this. But the house that Jimmy lives in is very 50s yes. era nostalgic. Th that is on purpose. So, Retroville, Texas, as I mentioned, was deliberately anachronistic. Meant to appear out of time. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Fit, uh, Jimmy Neutron's house and his mom yes. are particularly like 50s housewife, you know, 50s suburbia, yeah. you know, white picket fence and stuff, you mm -hmm. know, like it's a very 1950s, 60s style house. 
they go to the hop. There is, there is a soda shop in the middle of town. Are you about it's, to say they it, go to the hop? It's the hop. Get they out. go to the hop. Leave. I'm doing the rest of this myself. It's like, was it Astro Burger or something like that? Like, it's like a, it's a, it's a burger, burger joint slash pizza, uh, a soda shop in the middle of town that they frequent. And it's basically a 50s style diner. Yes. They're moving in the grooving at the hop. Get out. <laughs> Leave. Turn off your mic. Good night, kids. Drop the curtain. But then also, like, kids have cell phones and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they have robot like, dogs. Yeah, obviously. Well, obviously, Jimmy makes inventions, but like, there's like, uh, you know, it, it it's both, you know, retro mm-hmm. and, because of Retroville, but also modern at the same time. Right. So, and, and so I think that just goes to also like they're just drawing from many different influences mm-hmm. to try and like, you know, make this look like a, 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 a place, place at a time. Place at a time. So before we meet our main characters, uh, the 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 TV show, I played the theme song mm-hmm. at the beginning of this segment. I was there. Uh, the the theme song was written and performed by Brian Cossey of surf rock band Man or Astro Man. Okay, never heard of any of those things. It's like a ska punk band, I think. Oh, ska! One of the few genres I stay away. Well, like from. in surf rock, you hear the surf rock like style in the, in that opening as well yeah. like beach boys kind of stuff but like yeah. you know surf rock ha- was having a uh, a resurgence in the 90s mm. uh go, it, like i feel like ska punk is like the natural you know progression from surf rock of the 60s because people grew up loving that music as kids mm-hmm. are now old enough to make their own music yeah and then you got like quentin tarantino using surf rock in all his movies at the time pulp fiction like half of its soundtrack is surf rock <laughs> is it <laughs> For the movie, pop punk band Bowling for Soup would revamp and extend that theme. I do know Bowling for Soup. But uh, for the TV show, it's the original guy. Got it. This is the theme song. Of Jimmy Neutron. Arf, arf. Anyway, let's meet our main characters. Okay. Who's the main character? Um, Mom. No. James Isaac Neutron. Yes, James <laughs> Isaac Neutron. And in the first scene of the episode, we meet him and his best friend, Carl. Carl! <laughs> Freaking Carl. <laughs> ah, it's a beautiful night for a stroll, eh, Carl? Oh, yeah, sure is, Jimmy. Um, listen, why am I wearing a crash helmet and a parachute? Because you get to test the Neutron Catastrophic Simulation Escape System. Really? Oh, thanks a lot, Jimmy. Now, when you say the word catastrophic... Well, well, it's catastrophic simulation, Carl. It's different. I don't get it. Just press that button and all your questions will be answered. Hey, that guy kind of looks like me. So He's not a very good friend or an ethical person. No, he's in a, like Carl is the lab rat for all yes. of Jimmy's inventions. So yeah, Jimmy Neutron, he's a boy genius and he he made like walking legs and they're just strolling through the neighborhood like giant robo legs. Yes. <laughs> Kirby Robobobot. He made half an at-at. A-T-A-T? And he's got like a launcher on his back that Carl can ride in. And he just, he presses the button and has like a little cartoon Carl like flying into the air. (laughs) And when he presses it, it launches Carl to the moon. Not literally to the moon. It's just... Out of the seat and into the air. And he has a parachute and he's coming down. He lands in Jimmy's tree though. I mean, 
Sometimes if you don't account for wind acceleration, you can end up anywhere. So uh, the Carl, by the way, is voiced by uh, cart- cartoon voice actor extraordinaire Rob Paulson. He's Pinky. His name was Robert Paulson. Yes. But uh, Pinky. Pinky in the brain. Oh, yes. I can hear that. And uh, Yakko Warner. Oh, yeah, Yakko Warner from the All Animaniacs. of the Anianacs sound the exact same to me. Wow. He's talking the, is so hard. He's the normal one. Not the one that sounds like Rigo Starr, but the, the taller one. The taller Animaniac. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's Rob Paulson. Well, that's a different. That's he a also voices voice. everybody else. Like you, <laughs> I, I can list off his like you know his, his filmography, and he's got like a thousand cartoon voices. It's the Ronald Paulson show now. Name every single character. But everyone loves Carl. Everyone he loves llamas. Carl's just a, a nice little soft boy. <laughs> Very. He's like. A, I'm gonna. Google if anybody's drawn adult versions of this, which they absolutely have. I oh, absolutely! See, I want to see what Carl looks like. What do you what uh, What do you call it? With, uh, like hypochondriac. Carl's a bit of a hypochondriac. Is he's, he? very, he's very like he is. He's just soft. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a soft spoken and uh, kind, well meaning. He is good and forgiving and adorable. <laughs> and then. The, the plot of the episode really starts when Jimmy heads home and realizes that he didn't do his chores. And we must punish children who do not do their what, chores. What, what chore in particular did he not do? He did not pick up his pants. I gotta go home and pick up my room before my mom sees that I'm James Isaac Neutron. How many times have I told you to pick up your pants? Well, I know just the dog who can answer that, Mom. Got it. Access maternal reprimand data. Cross-reference. Pants. Jimmy! Pick up your pants, please. Uh, Jimmy, pick up your pants. Pick up your pants. Pants. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Pick them up. Jimmy! Pick up, pick up, pick up, Jimmy, your pants. I rest my case. We're going to say the word pants a lot from this point forward. We can say them in different languages. I was like, you know, uh, you, I'm not going to do this. Tell us how many times the word pants is said during this podcast. <laughs> Some kids count it in and and tweet us. Yeah, and like so, Jimmy, you look in his room and it's just a pile of pantalones, blue, blue jeans. Yeah, just sitting there, and he doesn't. Pl- you know, as someone who was a teenager who did not like to fold his clothes and put them in the the uh, the drawers, I relate to this. Mm. I, I mean, you now have a full, your pile of clothes outside of our dresser drawers, but uh, that's because you don't know where they go. And when I get home, I'm too tired. <laughs> but when I was a teenager, legitimately, I did not. I just threw them on the floor, <laughs> like I mean, in a pot, like in semi-organized pile, and I would pick clothes up from the floor and yeah. put them on. Okay, I, they I, were clean. I still do this. Honestly. They were clean. They were clean clothes, but they were just folded and on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so I relate to this. Pick up your pants. I don't want to. Um, also, you heard Goddard there. It's his robot dog. You heard him barking, and he he played uh like he had like a video screen in his belly that plays and that i think the number of times his mom has told her is like 50 something yes but goddard is the best looking character in the whole dang show yeah best like animated best uh Asset? rendered yes rendered he's got great yeah it's just like the the maybe it's because he's a robot but like the texturing they used on him looks like very detailed yeah compared to like the the clay 
look of all the characters. Yes. You know, because skin is hard to right. replicate. Right, 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 right. And they're obviously cartoon characters. They yeah. have to look funny. But like Goddard literally looks incredible. Yeah. For a, for a 2002 3D animated show. Good Goddard. Way better than he should. <laughs> and uh, anyway, yeah, the plot is Jimmy does not want to pick up his pants, so he's gonna weasel his way out of it by you know. Being smarter than trying his to be parents. smarter than his parents, but the reason why he's this is means too so much for him is his mom punishes him. Uh, she says, "Hey, because you have failed to pick up your pants and listen to me, you can't go to the movies with your friends." You, young man, are going to be punished. You will not be going to the movies with your friends after school tomorrow. Oh, but mom, it's the new science fiction kung fu action buddy comedy sequel to last summer's box office smash based on an old TV show we've never heard of. I have to see it. Sorry, Jimmy. Mom, I'll be the only kid in the world who doesn't see it. Think of all the pop culture references I'll never understand. I'll be an outcast, a loner. I'll, I'll be shunned from civilized society. Please, no, it's not my fault. My mom just wouldn't let me go to the movies. I'm gonna miss him. One of this performative crap that he does, I don't like it. Mm, yeah, if he's like smart enough to know, right? Like, I don't know. It's like it's an interesting thing, right? Like, this is the Bart portion of yeah, it, right? Yeah. Like, where you're being he's still a, brat. a little, he's still a bratty little boy. <laughs> like, I'm above this. No, you're not. Do the thing. It's like, yeah, the smart. He's. It's one of those things where it's like he's a snotty little brat sometimes, but he uses his intelligence to like justify it. Yeah. Because he's a dumb little boy. Yeah. So for that, I was like, smack that boy. Smack him. Or, you know, follow through. Follow through on your. Follow through with that smack. Which I. Well, no. <laughs> it doesn't happen right away. They The parents do budge when Jimmy tries to weasel his way yeah. out of this. But another thing about that clip. He says they're not they're not going to be able to go to the new summer sequel to a based on a sci-fi action kung fu buddy comedy for a show that came out from a from a show they've never heard of, yeah. right? Do you know what they're talking about? No. Cuz I was like I heard that and I was like they've got to be referencing something of the time. What are they referencing? I was and I look I was like at first I thought maybe like uh Men in Black Okay. But I was like, that's based on a comic book and it's not really based on a TV show from the 70s or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what What? What could they possibly be talking about? I was like, Mission Impossible? Turner and Hooch? Maybe. No, Turner and Hooch. Because Mission Impossible is based on an old TV show. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not really a buddy action comedy thing. Right. And then I was like, I figured it out. It's Charlie's Angels. Oh. <laughs> it is a sci-fi kung fu action comedy buddy film. Starring women, of course, but yeah. based on a TV show that children had never heard of. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, they are making, and it's a they had a, it had a sequel that came out the same summer that Jimmy Neutron did. So <laughs> they are making fun of <laughs> uh, Charlie's, Charlie's Angels. Angels. I mean, I liked Charlie's Angels. Never seen it. Oh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like the it's like, of its time. It's dumb. It's like definitely a, I, I would assume it's a great like time capsule for the the early two thousands. Yes, and there's Lucy Liu, <laughs> Cameron Diaz, eh, Drew Barrymore. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jimmy Neutron he's too smart for his own good, and uh, he goes to solve it his own way. Right. Oh, well, actually, before that, we we got to introduce another new character. We heard from Mom. Ah. 
Who do, who's next to hear from? Dad. Dad. Hugh Neutron, my favorite character from this show. Really? Oh, yeah. Ugh. Like, he's dumb, but I feel like at least, like, all the good jokes are given to Hugh. <laughs> hey, Jim Jam. I was just in the neighborhood and wanted to have a little chit-chat with you about this pants business. You know, so believe it or not, there was a time when I myself used to leave my pants on the floor. And then one day, I... I picked them up, and well, the rest is history, son. <laughs> Speaking of history, just think of our founding fathers that left their pants on the floor, huh? What if Attila the Hodden hadn't picked up his pants? What about Luke Skywalker? You're here, I tell you, the force was with that guy's pants. I'm glad I've cleared that up for you, son. Bye-bye. <laughs> He's just the well-meaning suburban dad. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I deeply dislike the trope of incompetent father. It's... No, it's not realistic. It, no, mm. maybe it is. <laughs> it's the pairing of incompetent father and then mother who has to do everything, but then father undercooked because he's given the jokes and he's blah, blah, blah. And it just annoys me so much. I hate it. He's an incompetent man for yeah. sure. And it's like, I think, you know, like you see the relationship between the, the two parents, you know, what is, what is Judy and Hugh Neutron? Mm-hmm. And, I guess she keeps him around because he makes her laugh sometimes. But like they don't ha like they don't really have a relationship. It seems very like she's, you know, trying to be a good mom, maybe mm -hmm. a little overbearing, kind of fifties mom. And then he was just an idiot. Well, boys will be boys. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. She's like I don't know. I wouldn't even say she's overbearing. <laughs> Let me talk about how I feel like Judy Neutron knows what she's doing. I like the. She's just doing the thing that a mom should do. Like, keep your room clean. Like, even though, like, as an adult, I'm like, nobody comes into my room. I can keep it however I want. I understand the, like, you know, bugs can get in. If you're untidy, you don't know what's going on. You can't find your stuff. Like, it's good. Like, if you can keep your space clean, you'll be able to be organized in your life. These are building blocks that she is building. Um, And her son is a brat. And her husband does not even attempt to have he, he, I, I, I legitimately to... I want to give him the benefit of the doubt he tried here he, even though okay. he's an idiot sorry then the attempt isn't the right word like he just isn't old <laughs> like you know he's just kind of like oh well it's like that's not helpful like that's not helpful could you imagine like if okay I'll stop I'm just like he he goes in there and like he just doesn't know how to do this I think he he's not he's not well equipped to be a father how old is Jimmy <laughs> He's like 10, probably. He's not well eclipsed after 10 years? Yeah, because he... Oh, he, that tells a story, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it does. If if Jimmy was two, I could get it because you're like, okay, the child is starting to be able to talk and communicate with me, so now I can do... Jimmy's 10 and very smart. Either way, he's... In some ways, he is smarter than Hugh Neutron. But, like, you know, I think Hugh comes in, he's trying to be, like, the, you know, very... He's doing the stern dad talk, but it's like, you know, Jim Jim, I don't know. It's very old fashioned in a way. I don't know. It makes me laugh. Yeah. You can love him. And, and he, uh, he references Luke Skywalker, which I think is definitely noteworthy. You're a nerd. <laughs> well, it's noteworthy because like one, we know that Star Wars is now owned by Disney, the competing company. But, uh... but two, like, I don't think you heard cartoon characters reference Star Wars all that much it, directly mm -hmm. by name that's you know. fair anyway yeah Jimmy uh, he, he tries to outsmart his parents what does he do 
makes the pants hang themselves. Lady and gentlemen, mom and dad, through the miracle of neutron nanotechnology, I present Smart Pants! <laughs> Very good, son. That's wonderful. I don't know how you figured that. My little talk with Jimmy paid off. And this is where you, you say that Hugh undercuts his wife. He's useless. <laughs> because Jimmy's like, I, I invented a, a thing that can fold my pants and hang them up themselves. You know, you should let me go to the movies. And yeah. he was like, well, do you, you, you did do what you said, huh? And that's one of the things. I know we're not going to get into this. I'm sorry, kids. You know who I am at this point. Like, I, there's two things. I don't agree how J Judy gives in. And it's like, oh, okay. But also, she's not undercutting her husband in front of her child, right? So there's two things happening there where she's just like, you've already given him permission. We haven't talked about this at all but I am not going to undercut your power. Um, and I'm going to agree with this, but what should have happened uh, as a person who's not a parent, <laughs> I would have been like, that's nice. I'm glad you figured out a solution. I'm going to need you for a week to pick them up manually. And then you can start using that. Cause I think that's a great solution, but you need to like, that's not what I asked you to do. Do what I asked you to do and then use your solution. Yep. Like, uh, but I'm not going to like, you know? Yeah. I, I wonder, I, I don't remember an episode like this happening, but an episode where there's like parental conflict between mm. Hugh and Judy. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't. I literally, I literally cannot remember. But that should, that if it didn't happen, it should have because that yeah. would have been a very interesting, at least character study. Yeah. In this cartoon, I'm trying to think back to like the best cartoon uh, couples that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was one in particular that we like were like, oh yeah, they're the shining examples, and I can't remember what it was. It definitely wasn't Dragon Ball Z. No. <laughs> I don't think we've done that yet. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh and Hugh and uh, uh, Goku are very <laughs> similar, where they're just like idiot fathers. And I cannot stand Goku. Did we do Dragon Ball Z? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we totally did. Uh, I I was like, we have to have passed that. Joe, Goku makes me angry, angry. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm trying to think of what cartoons we've talked about. I mean, I would say Hugh, uh, Stu, and Dee Dee. Like they, they're, they're not great. Like they're new parents and they're doing a lot, of, but they do talk to each other and like try to work things out. But Stu is always in the basement, you yeah. know, like being kind of a man child with his hobbies. Yeah. He's a professional toy maker. <laughs> um, and uh, Hugh, Hugh is even more infantile than, yeah. than Stu. Maybe I'm thinking of the wild thornberries because Hugh Neutron definitely has some Nigel Thornberry vibes. But Nigel's not useless. Right. Right. Like, so there's the thing, right? Like, I, like, don't mind goofy, like, dads that are a little bit, oh, blah, blah. It's, it's the incompetence. Well, he, he, Nigel Thornberry is pretty incompetent. He built that. a boat to save his children. <laughs> he just didn't communicate it well. They, they, they uh, I think they support each other a lot more than Hugh and Judy here. They're know? professionals. Yeah. So <laughs> Hugh needs to be a little bit more like Nigel Thornberry. He can still be a goof, but yeah. he can be, you know, a supportive goof. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being a goof. It's leaving your partner to do all the hard work, to always be the bad guy and always be the primary parent. Ugh. Anyway, so that, that uh, his parents relent. They let Jimmy go. To, they say, hey, we're going to let you go to the movies because you've built 
self-folding pants. So, Bad call. So he goes to school the next day, and we meet the, the rest of the cast, really. The, the three remaining kids' characters from the show. It's really two and a teacher, right? Well, it's, it's there are three more main kids, yes, but, but one has only... nothing to do in this episode. Yes. Who are those characters? Uh, Cindy something and Sheen. And then who's the third? The black girl. Libby. Libby. Hey, Cindy. What's up, girlfriend? Hey, Libby. Monday, 7.59 a.m. No sign of Neutron. And give my report in peace. You are one obsessed chick. Hey, guys. Why is today like no other day, huh? You ask? Hmm? Hmm? Because I brought a new Ultra Lord action figure. You bring one of those every day, Ultra Loser. Well, well, Miss Maiden of Wrongness. Evidently, you are not aware that this is the Ultra Lord action figure number three with factory gender error. <laughs> Should I wear this dress to the prom? So every time he clicks the little button, the, the action figure makes noise, but it's like a Barbie doll voice instead yeah. of action, like an Ultra Lord, which is like, it's like a He-Man mm-hmm. or like Buzz Lightyear, I guess. A mix of it, like a, a He-Man astronaut. <laughs> So you asked, is was there a Sheen for for John A. Davis growing up? Mm. He he was Sheen. So he says Johnny Quasar, Jimmy Neutron, is the part of his childhood that really liked space and science. Mm-hmm. Sheen was the part of his childhood that loved comic books and action figures. It was his fanboy childhood. I mean, we are multifaceted people, and so. that is that is Sheen's character. He is a fanboy for Ultra Lore. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. You know, there there were like kids growing up where I was like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's the Power Rangers kid. <laughs> that guy loves Power Rangers. And Everything Power Rangers. He's the Pokemon kid. He loves Pokemon. You know. I feel like as kids, we all are obsessive at one point in our life about sure. something. Yeah. But, you know, for, for, for Sheen, it's Ultra Lore. <laughs> it is. He's got all – he must be – his parents must be wealthy because he has all the toys and gizmos right? and tie-in products. Those are not cheap, especially like if he's like, I got the one, one of the rare ones with a um a wrong thing. Those things must be expensive. Yeah, I was like, Sheen, why is it out of the packaging? <laughs> Put it back. Sheen, what are you doing? You can sell that one day. Uh, yeah, so Sheen Estevez is his oh. name. Yeah, Latin character because his uh his voice actor Jeffrey Garcia is a Latin man. Mm-hmm. Sheen was originally written to be Japanese. Oh. Yeah, but he was changed to a Latino because his voice actor was Latin. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sheen, unfortunately, I, I'm sure he was a favorite amongst a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of kids like, oh, I love Sheen. He's so funny, right? He All his jokes now are super cringy. Yeah. He is like a hyperactive little boy and all his jokes are like hyperactive humor where yeah. he just like keeps rambling and rambling and saying things that aren't funny. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am not amused by Sheen at all in this episode. Yeah. It was really annoying. Sheen used to be my favorite. When I remember watching, I was like, oh, I love Sheen. He's so funny. But he's nope. <laughs> he is not funny. Um, Does not age well. I am. Or I maybe will, I'm aged and now I'm like, mm, what? I, I'll... As we play more clips, there will be examples where I'm like, Sheen, shut up. <laughs> like, I can't stand him. 
in this episode. He's a child. You can't speak like that. Then we got Cindy Vortex. Oh, Vortex. Who is uh, Jimmy's kind of rival in the school. Who is obsessed with him and keeps tabs on where he is all the time. It's funny. If Jimmy wasn't a little boy genius, like if Jimmy was at a different school, Cindy would be the smartest kid in the class. Yeah. And she knows it. And yeah. she's she hates it. <laughs> How dare he do better than I? So she, yeah, they're constantly like, you know, verbally sparring, you know, trying to prove who's the bigger smarty pants is. Uh-huh. I get it. Smarty pants. Uh, uh, <laughs> that, should, that, that could have been the name of the episode, Smarty Pants. Oh, it could have been. And then, of course, there's Libby, who's the black girl. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I don't know anything about Libby. I can't yeah. remember any episodes where Libby does anything she's other just, than like a sidekick. She's to a Cindy. sidekick. She likes fashion. That's pretty much it. Yeah. There might be more. I, do, I did not watch the show like that. I have no she idea. She has a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> like she was like the hip girl in school who like was into the tr like hip new trends. She was the savvy one. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I mean, like, that's more or less the impression I get more than anything I actually remember about her. I, I can't. And she doesn't do anything in this episode. This is like no. her only speaking scene. Yeah. Otherwise, she just Wilhelm In fact, it. after this scene, I don't think we see her again. Maybe until the end. Maybe. She like, doesn't just, get wrapped up in the, the whole pants plot. No. She's she's smarter than that. She's like, mm, I'm going to stay home. <laughs> anyway, uh, after this introduction of these characters, um, Carl shows up. And we get a... It's a Chekhov's gun situation. Mm. It's Chekhov's cling. <laughs> and now, let us welcome geek number two, the Static Cling King. Hey guys, guess who did his own laundry this morning? You? Got that right, girlfriend. Cool, Carl. I wish I had a balloon to stick to you. <laughs> Ow. That Carl did his own laundry, ran it through the dryer, and now he has static cling. So he's An shocking everybody. Another beautiful aspect of Carl. Do you think his mom has to ask him to pick up his clothes? He did his own laundry. He he has a whole song about it. Folding, he, he loves folding and hanging his clothes. He's such a responsible kid. Good job, Carl. Good job, Carl's parents. Yep. What's Carl's last name? Weezer. Good job, Weezers. Uh. Also, I think you said this when we watched it, but I, I, it, it, there's, a, there's a future somewhere where, where Carl and Sheen got married and had a wonderful life together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely a fic out there. Supporting each other. You know, <laughs> Carl is, is uh, uh, paying for Sheen's action Obsession. figure habit. No. Sheen has Carl a man cave where he has all his action figures. No, absolutely. Sheen went into like toy design and he has his own line of stuff. He does definitely have his own cave where he just builds stuff. <laughs> Either way, the this by the way, this is uh, where I learned what static cling was. I had I'd never heard that phrase before as a little kid. Okay, uh, but kid, then I was I like, oh, oh, week. I get it. You you know when you put clothes in the dryer, sometimes they get like you know shock. You can shock people, or when you run, like you you put socks on and you kind of like rub your feet against the carpet, mm -hmm. build up static cling. Yeah. Pew! It makes sense. I learned I learned that from this show. Ah, Jamie Neutron taught you some stuff. Yeah, but this is Chekhov's cling because this this element will come back <laughs> to save the day. The static cling thing. Good job. What what is that called? Foreshadow. Yeah. So they're at school today, and Jimmy and Cindy are giving reports, like mm -hmm. a presentations on something. Something. I don't know. J Cindy's the only one who d gets to give her presentation, which is on what. I have no idea of volcanoes. 
origami. <laughs> origami? Origami, the ancient art of Japanese paper folding. I will be making the most difficult of all origami sculptures, a snow monkey. Actually, paper folding originated in China. Riding a flying dragon in the second century AD. While drinking tea. And was brought to Japan. On a ladder. In the sixth century. In December. Cindy, I didn't know you and Jimmy were doing this report together. We're not. Jimmy gets way too much pass. Way yeah, too much Yeah, fly. shut up, Jimmy. I was like, I would have been like, Jimmy, go wait outside. <clears throat> Jimmy, yeah. if you talk well, again, I'm deducting, I'm ducking, deducting half a grade from whatever you report. Are you kidding me? Well, his te their teacher is also very much like Hugh, where she's she's incompetent. Like, I'm so, I had a I had an old lady teacher at this time as well because Jimmy Neutron debuted when I was in fifth grade. My fifth grade teacher was an old lady. <laughs> like she was not this passive though. Yeah. But still, I, I just like I pictured this old lady. In, in Jimmy Neutron, and I think of that, but like their teacher's like a bird woman, <laughs> like she has a giant nose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, did you have? I don't know. Like, did in, in in grade school, did you have like a little boy that you saw as your rival that you like? No, I'm gonna prove that I'm smarter than that little Absolutely boy. Absolutely not. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I like active. Like I wasn't Jimmy here, like interrupting people during their presentations to like one up them. I was, Jimmy, Jimmy's a freaking like online commenter in real yeah. life. He, he feels that way. He's like, I'm smarter than you. I'm going to prove it. You know, even though it's like, stop, dude. Stop. It's like, here's a list article about, you know, the, the greatest whatever's in, in video games. Let me tell you why you, this is wrong. You forgot this one. I'm smarter than you. Ugh. <laughs> that, that's what Jimmy comes off as absolutely but when i was in school there were definitely dynamics where it was like because i was in the gifted program mm -hmm. and you know so i was kind of like set aside with the other gifted kids mm -hmm. and it always felt like i was competing with the other kids in that group right you know and there's always like there you know it's like am i the smartest kid in class well there's this one girl who is might be the smartest kid in class but i'm gonna prove i'm the smartest kid in class you know that happened. That's so weird. Yeah. I've never felt the need to compete against anyone. <laughs> like, that unless we are in a competition where we're like, hey, uh, we're going to go and see who can run the farthest or we're going to see who can finish this the quickest. Like, otherwise, I'm like, I'm just trying to get me done, my guy. It's stupid. And I grew out of it eventually. But like, that's this is the way it was when you're a stupid little kid. And then by the time I reached high school, I was like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm just going to do my best get my grades and not and, like out. not not feel like i need to be the smartest one you know and yeah. it's like yeah i was salutatorian in school because the valedictorian got like a five point gpa you know because she went out of her way to take all the right classes all at the right time to get a 5.0 gpa <sighs> but, i mean congrats yeah i really for, hope you're yeah, doing okay now because yeah. that's not how you should pace your life but um there were kids in high school that i went to who their parents knew that if they stayed in my high school, they would not be the smart, like, you know, the mm. smartest kid in, in school. So they moved her to a different school. Oh, no. So that, like a less uh, affluent high school. Why do parents do this to kids? Yeah. So, yeah, she'd be at this, you know, less affluent school. So she would be the smartest one. Mm -mm. And it would look better on her resume. I don't know. I was valedictorian at the less affluent high school. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. So they she they moved her to your school and she got no. the 5.0. No, 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 no. This was a different girl. Oh. This was a different girl. This, okay. a, this other girl, 
she knew that she couldn't compete. Like her parents knew she can't compete with the girl who's going to get 5.0. So mm-hmm. let's move her to a different school. That girl is not there. Ugh. So that she could be the f- smartest. Wow. That's so annoying. Yeah. I'm so annoyed by that. I hope that girl turned out okay. So that was my Cindy Vortex. Ah, uh, she was the one you competed against until you were like. I don't, I don't, maybe, I don't know. Wait, are you Jimmy Neutron? No. Are you the commenter? Oh, no, I, I told you I don't do that. I, I didn't do know. that. Oh, now I'm wondering. Let me see your, let me see your history. Anyway, the whole, the whole report gets interrupted anyway when Jimmy, when Jimmy's pants get, go on the fritz. There's a disturbance in his pants. No, he's five. Jimmy? I, um, I sense a disturbance in my pants, ma'am. Jimmy, if you need to go to the bathroom, I can give you a whole pass. Negative. Miss Fowl, the nano chips in my pants are making me do this. The spicy ranch kind. I love those. Hey, I'm working up here. Jimmy's doing all his daddy, too. Yeah. Much better than Cindy with cutting edge special effects. You, you can't even see the wires of the blue screen. It's amazing. All right, Jimmy. So Jimmy's pants are just like, you know, walking on their own. They've ripped him off. And he's doing he's doing like a little jig and, and he like runs up the wall and is like upside down because his pants are like levitating. Magic. I don't know. Maybe it's like the electricity is like, you know, levitating them and he's just kind of hanging there. There's a some strong levitation. But yeah, he's like all over the place because his pants have now received what it, what is Sentience. it? Sentience. Also, the teacher's name is Miss Fowl. I caught that. Yes. Not Mrs. Fowl. She never married. Oh. <laughs> Fowl, because she looks like a bird. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like one. Fowl with a W. And then things get even more uh, hectic at recess when we learn that the pants can not only control themselves, but they can zap other people's pants and give them sentience that don't have the microchip. As pants are wanting to do. Everything's under control. <laughs> Strike that last statement. He's been on pants. That's <laughs> <laughs> great, Jimmy. What a guy. <laughs> I see London. I see France. You got really good eyesight. I'm not sure, but this is probably the most embarrassing moment of our short lives. On the other hand, you all get to see my ultra-large underwear. Limited edition with ultra-auto-fly glow-in-the-dark, only available in Japan. Oh my gosh, I have a pimple. A pimple? Where? They're plastic, you don't get pimples. It's too much sheen. <laughs> I feel like that. The, the, those, those weren't jokes, and they just kept going. It just kept going. Yeah. I I love Carl's like, you've got really good eyesight. You liked that? That's not funny. <laughs> Carl's adorable I was and not, earnest. I, was not I didn't amu- say it was funny. I was not amused by that. You're not amused by it. But I feel like music. if I was like thinking for little kids, right? Like just seeing all these characters in their underwear would be funny. Yeah. So she, seeing Sheen go like, you get to all see my Ultra Lord underwear. Like that would be funny to a little kid. Yeah. But then he just keeps going. They make the... they. Do the Ultra Lord girl voice joke again. Mm-hmm. And then he makes jokes about pimples being. Pla- I was like, that's not funny. I laugh. It's hyperactive. <laughs> it is a bit all over the place. Like maybe one will land, nothing lands, but you're not a child. It's true. Yeah. We need to put this in front of a little kid and be like, hey, no. is this funny? Kids nowadays would be like, what is this? I hate it because of the art. 
not because they're spoiled by what art has turned into now in the future. I'm just saying, no, honestly, Jimmy Neutron looks better than like Coco Melon, though. I've never seen Coco Melon. Oh, it's like this hideous, like low, 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 low budget 3D animation. I'm I just saying this. This would I think this would still appeal to kids because it okay. looks better than the, the garbage they it. shove on. I don't think it'll appeal to our nephews, but maybe we'll try. No, maybe in the younger ones. So yeah, what happens is uh, the the pants come to life and they you know uh, uh, evacuate they from the person. <laughs> they self evict. <laughs> so every, all the main characters are now pantsless. Again, Libby's not here. She's gone. Yes. Yeah, so she was like, uh, no, I will not be pantsed. Yeah. So everyone at this point forward is walking around in their underwear, which yeah. I suppose is funny to children. Yeah. What would have happened if someone was wearing a dress? Nothing. Dresses are safe. It's true. But yeah, uh, so th that's, um, you know, uh, uh, emergency number one is Jimmy needs to get his pants back. And yeah. Get everyone, and like, you know, Cindy's like, Neutron, if you don't get my pants back, I'm... Gonna You're not going to make it to tomorrow. Some kind of threat. <laughs> right. So here we get some good scenes. Good. More, more Hugh. No. Because <laughs> Jimmy and Sheen and Carl, they head back to Jimmy's lab because Jimmy has a lab under his house. And we, we go there sometime. It's like a rocket like silo. Yeah. I think where it's, he launches. I think it's leftover from the movie. Like oh, he yeah. came back on a rocket and he just kind of turned that into their his thing. Right. Uh, and <laughs> they walk into the house. Jimmy, where are your pants? Oh, uh, pants. Excellent question, Mom. Um, it's a new fashion movement. The no pants look. Yeah, everybody at school is wearing. Uh, well, I mean, they're not wearing. Well, what Jimmy, I mean is, it looks ridiculous. Now, now, sugar booger. All the kids have their crazy fashion. <laughs> Well, one of the greatest memories of my youth was my bell bottom moo moo. I'm telling you, I dig the no pants look. <laughs> bell bottom moo moo. Okay. I'm telling you, Hugh is just what he is. He wants to be supportive to a fault. To his son. Yeah, that was, I was gonna. Be, I was gonna be like, to who? Because uh, he cut off his wife. And undercut her in a way she did not do earlier in the episode. Honey, I dig the no pants look. Like, you look ridiculous, Jimmy. Because she wants to go put on pants. Well, sugar booger, hold on. No, I don't like it. You well, can you can dislike <laughs> the childish humor, but um, this is worse. <laughs> we we get a fantastic scene later though, where what does Hugh do? He goes out and joins the no pants craze while mowing his lawn. Yep. And his neighbors walk by, see him without his pants on. <laughs> I feel like a new man. Oh, the freedom, the comfort, the gentle wafting breeze. Howdy, neighbor. Hey, I got two words for you. No pants. <laughs> yes, it's the fabulous fashion sensation that's sweeping the nation. So gather round and pull them down. Yep, he's on a list somewhere now. He's on the database. Yeah, absolutely. He lives far too close to a school. <laughs> so anyway, that's Hugh Neutron. <laughs> Sorry. Why do you find it funny? I don't know. It's just, it's so absurd. Okay. Yeah, sure. I definitely won't like SpongeBob is what I'm hearing. Lovable idiot. One of those words is correct. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Jimmy and his friends, they decide to uh, address the pants situation. And uh, they... I guess they just go like he built some gadgets to like, you know, uh, 
catch the pants. Yeah. It's like a clothespin launcher. Thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, cool, I guess, to, to pin them down. And then he, like, gives... Uh, does he give a gun to, like, his friends, too? Or is it just him? They it, it, He has, like... Uh, I think, uh, like, Cindy's out there, like, doing kung fu. Oh, yeah. On the, the pants. Right. And uh, Jimmy... Like, Jimmy has, like, uh, like starch... No, no, that's later. At this point, he just has clothespin launcher. Right. And they just, they're there to just catch the pants and and tie them up and and get. Try to put them back on their bodies. Right. And the problem is, as soon as they get downtown, because by this point, it's just four pairs of pants. Right. Jimmy. Sheen, Cindy. And Carl. uh, Carl. But, you know, and he's able to catch all three of his friends' pants, but his pair of pants. The master of yeah, pants. they do kung fu and, and swat away his clothespins, <laughs> and it heads inside of the house of blue pants, <laughs> which is just a pants, just like a, a, a pants show floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, they're planning a full-scale pants invasion. This is just like Ultra Lord versus Robo Fiend special edition with seventeen seconds of new material. And what a seventeen seconds it was. Listen, Neutron, I'm a girl with looks and brains and big plans for my future, and they don't include living in a world ruled by pants! Do something! No time to get to the lab. I have to make do with the resources at hand. Think. No, no, not yet. This is where he sees a laundromat across the street. Right. And decides to, you know... Pillage. Gear up on uh, clothing and laundry material Mm. to take out the... Now, huge army of pants. So many pants. Just an army of blue jeans all <laughs> attacking the town. And so Jimmy, like, he has, like, starch launchers mm-hmm. and irons that he fires out at the pants. And right. It, it, it incapacitates all of the pants. Except. Except his pants, which have grown stronger and more powerful. And giants. Yes. And it's like there's like a king. It's like a King Kong parody at this point. Is it? I feel like at this moment there's a lot of like references to old classic movies oh, and well, genres. Went over my head. Yeah, it was like there's there's a obviously there's like the kung fu stuff because mm-hmm. Jimmy's doing or the pants are doing kung fu. She's they're fighting Cindy. Right. Uh, there's like a it's like King Kong or like a fifties monster movie where you know they're at the they're downtown and it's gonna like climb up a building or mm. something. Right, right, right. So it has that feel. And then there's like a Western standoff. Oh, yeah. Because Jimmy, like the the, the pants have grown too big. And Jimmy mm-hmm. needs to think quickly because he's out of, he's out of gear. <laughs> and we get the, his, 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 his catchphrase. Right. Which is. Brain blast. My pants are getting more powerful by the second. And I'm out of weapons. Think, think, think. create a colossal amount of static cling, I can capture my pants, destroy the nanochip, and still have time to get to the movies. But where can I get that much static? Where? He rolls out a red carpet from the carpet store. (laughs) Conveniently placed. And this is where they have a Western-style standoff, tumbleweed and all, where it's like a pair of pants and Jimmy's robo-pants standing on some carpet, like (laughs) doing a standoff. 
And Jimmy builds up static cling, like as one would if they rub their feet against carpet. Yes. He rubs up, you know, his robot feet. His robot feet. And extends a giant hand to the pants and shocks it. And that's how he saves the day. Yeah. So you got Western, you got sci fi monster movie, you got kung fu movies. They even make fun of uh, Hitchcock's The Birds. Oh, yeah. There's a point where, like, the pants have invaded Retroville, mm-hmm. and they're, like, just everywhere. And it's just, like, The Birds by Hitchcock. Yeah, it's and like, someone makes a reference to yeah, it, Yeah, right? so I, they they had, a you know, visually, it was a Birds parody. And I mm-hmm. look at you and say, oh, they're even making fun of Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> and then they call it out in the show. <laughs> Kill, look! What? what? What is it? Oh, my, it looks like a homage to Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. Do you think this could possibly have anything to do with Jimmy's self-folding pants? So, you know. His mom is where he gets his brains from. Call out the joke. Call out the I guess, like, kids wouldn't understand no, what the heck not. a friggin' Hitchcock is. No. I hadn't seen The Birds until college. I've never seen The Birds. Also, would kids know the word homage? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> But, you know, something for the adults yeah. in the room. I appreciated it. You did. And uh, Jimmy saves the day with his static cling. And then he gets to go to the movies. I missed you, Pants. It's so good to be back inside. Can we go to the movies now, Jimmy? Okay, last one there buys the candy. James <gasps> Isaac Neutron, you made this mess. And you are not going anywhere until you pick up these pants. Mom! I hope he misses the movie. And that's the moral of the story. Don't be selfish. Pick up your pants. Pick up your pants. <sighs> that was that was Jimmy Neutron's one pants attack. It was very meaty. There was so much to say about this episode. It was like a joke a minute. Ugh. It, 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 it really quick. Like it was. At the very least, it was snappy. Yeah. You know, I was like, if you're gonna throw a thousand jokes at the wall, one will stick. And it, for me, it was Hugh. For me, it was Carl. And everything else is just like, it's it's so much. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't feel like as long as some of the other shows that we've watched. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like, it didn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. At, the, at least, yeah. you know. And even though this was a double episode, like, there was enough to do. Yeah. And it wasn't like Barney where we watched that for four and a half hours. At double, double speed. speed. <laughs> uh, do you, would you recommend Jimmy Neutron? The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius? Oh, uh, sure. If you've got like kids around or you were feeling nostalgic, you can pop it on. It's like one of those things you don't really have to fully pay attention to. I think I would only recommend it to people who want to feel nostalgic. Yeah. If, like if you watch this as a kid and you want to revisit it, like it's not going to harm you. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't re- recommend this to anyone who hadn't seen it before. That's fair. It's serviceable. Yeah. It was a pretty good cartoon for its time. Uh, it still looks good. Yeah. For a CG animated movie. Or TV show. But uh, it's... <laughs> other than that, it's like, it's a kid's cartoon that isn't particularly good or noteworthy, like, other than its medium. Yeah. But what did the world think? The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius set an all-time ratings record for Nickelodeon in total viewers and in the demo. Okay. Making it the most watched premiere in Nick's 23-year history. Wow. Yeah. That marketing push, it That worked. marketing, it did, it did the, its and job. And the movie, yep. Yep. The show maintained good ratings for the remainder of its run. Oh, okay. 
The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius received positive reviews from critics. Common Sense Media, for example, said, quote, The script is generally well-written and well-executed. The adults behind this show approach the project with apparent zeal. Kids will enjoy this program while parents might get a kick out of some of the gags as well. And though the computer animations may seem a bit freaky for old-school animation fans, it does allow for quality special effects. Hmm. All-encompassing review there. Yeah. Geek Vibes Nation, meanwhile, said, quote, As with all shows such as this, it follows a bit of a formula, but it always provides steady laughs and does not suffer severe lulls throughout its relatively brief run, which I agree with. Mm -hmm. At least it's like they kept it going. Yeah. The vocal cast is very strong throughout the ensemble, with the legendary Rob Paulson standing out especially. The computer animation suffers from limitations of age, but modern audiences should not find it distracting enough to lose any enjoyment. Mm. The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius won Annie Awards for Outstanding Achievement in an Animated Television Production Produced for Children and Outstanding Achievement in Voice Acting in an Animated Television Production for Jeff Garcia, who played Sheen. Nice. So Sheen won an Annie Award. Good job, Sheen. Jeff, where? Sheen? <laughs> the show also won two BMI Cable Awards and a Golden Reel Award. Oh, BMI? don't know <laughs> body matrix index body mind image <laughs> i don't know uh what if where did jimmy neutron go from here just to, to, to the space the legacy of jimmy neutron the adventures of jimmy neutron boy genius ran for three seasons of 61 episodes oh wasn't syndicated you have any episodes you remember from its run no. any, anything zero i have i have very little like as much as I watch the show, I can't remember too much yeah. specific episodes. I think the the one episode I definitely remember was Jimmy and Cindy end up marooned on a desert island for like a few weeks or something like that, and they have to build like a hut. It's like it's like a castaway thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just them, and they're stranded on this island, and they build a house and basically become you know like they cohabitate together, and, mm-hmm. and they they learn they learn from each other, and you know they learn to appreciate each other, and it becomes like a romantic thing. So it's the Blue Lagoon. I guess so. Not 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 as you know, <laughs> not as racy, but Ooh, it's very racy. But but in this, it's like I remember that because it kind of established that there was like some romantic tension between Jimmy and Cindy mm-hmm. that I think everyone thought was already bubbling under the surface. Yeah. And then when they get back home, uh, it all falls apart. Yeah, they're like, "Hey, we're not going to mention that to anybody, are we?" Nope. Nope. And I think there's an episode where they. The characters get stuck at an Ultra Lord video game. Okay. They were like Ultra Lord centric episodes with Sheen. I believe that. There was a crossover, wasn't there? Or more than one? Crossover. With like. Oh, oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, And I think there's an episode where the egg aliens from the movie come back. Hmm. So, you know, that's all I remember. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. Except the vaguely the lagoon thing. But I think that's just kind of a trope in a lot of stuff. I think so they go maybe. back in time. There's an episode with dinosaurs. Oh, I don't know, man. That's... They use a dinosaur's head to crack a diamond. I don't remember any of this. I remember that. <laughs> 2004 saw the release of the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour, a ah. crossover special between Jimmy Neutron and fellow Nicktoon, the Fairly Odd Parents, which I definitely watched the first special of. It, uh, it was a big deal. It was a yeah. big, a big event. Yeah. I and think... even by 2004, when I was like definitely aging out of cartoons, mm-hmm. I, I watched the Jimmy Timmy Power Hour. 
I would assume Jimmy would look better in 2D than Timmy would look in Correct. 3D. Correct. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, because it was like it was a 2D 3D crossover. Right. So J- Timmy Turner of the Fairly Odd Parents became th- a 3D animated character. Along with Wanda and Cosmo, I think, too. That sounds horrible. They were 3D animated just like Jimmy Neutron. And then Jimmy Neutron went to the Fairly Odd Parents world and became a 2D character. The art styles are too different. Yeah. For that. I mean, like, Jimmy would be fine in 2D. Like, yep, we could just draw these things, but, like, ugh. Yeah, Timmy looked grotesque. and, yeah. (laughs) The Jimmy Timmy Power Hour spawned two sequels in 2006. When Nerds Collide and The Jerkinators. I, I don't think I watched those. I think I was out of Nickelodeon by that point. Yeah. Jerkinators? Okay. Is it a Terminator parody? I don't know. Oh, maybe. A spinoff series titled Planet Sheen, starring Sheen, aired from 2010 to 2013. Oh, a whole series? A whole series about Sheen. Yeah. Sounds fun. Sounds like you would enjoy that. Nope. 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 Sounds you like, a, like you People would like People like Sheen. I don't. <laughs> The Jimmy Neutron franchise also includes various toys and merchandise, four video games, two theme park attractions, and a digital comic strip. Oh. Yeah. J- Jimmy Neutron was a pretty like lucrative media yeah. franchise for, for Nick at that time. I believe that. Yeah. They put a lot of money in. I remember it. the video games like there was a huge push for the video games on the TV show. Uh, um. on, on TV. Like there were cartoon there were commercials for those video games as you watch Nickelodeon. And they were good video games. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I think like... I mean, Nickelodeon had money to put into it, but I doubt they were good. Back in the day, I think the first Jimmy Neutron video game was like a huge example for why video games needed to get rid of invisible walls. So this was like GameCube era video mm. games. And there were things called invisible walls in video games uh, from like, you know... Early 3D games, like for the N64 and PlayStation, mm-hmm. if your character should like walking around within the world, if there's an area you're not supposed to go to, sometimes lazy developers would just slap a giant invisible wall mm. between you and where you want to go. So you can't walk in that direction. It's just like, well, here's where the world ends. Yeah, You can yeah. see it, but you can't walk any farther. <laughs> and it was frustrating because I think now with like good video games like developers will come up with you know an in-world visual reason for why you can't progress any farther Mm -hmm. uh you know whether it be like you know barricades or like mountains right or or bodies of water or something yeah 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 you know so you're like yep you can't go this way i remember a lot of key to the store i was watching a lot of video game review shows at the time people were like this jimmy neutron game has so many invisible walls this Mm. trend needs to end huh so it was a trendsetter in that it became a trend stopper. Yep. It was a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Invisible walls were a bad thing. And what if series creator John A. Davis? Oh, yeah. Johnny Quasar himself. He became a professional astronaut. Well, beyond Jimmy Neutron, Davis is now best known as the director of the 2006 film adaptation of The Ant Bully. I think I saw that. I did not. Hmm. But yeah, he directed The Ant Bully. So that's like his other claim to fame. And since 2007, Davis has become a recognized astrophotographer, as we talked about, publishing high-resolution, generally wide-field images in astronomy magazines and NASA's Astronomy Picture of the Day. Sweet. Yeah. So he's over there taking pictures of Mars and things. (laughs) That's Jimmy Neutron. All right. That's our last Nick tune. Oh. How does it feel? It feels like I wish we hadn't gone out on Hugh. (laughs) Hugh, you say? No. So. 
you and your little pantsy-wantsy friends thought you could take over the world, huh? Well, you didn't know you'd have to deal with Hugh Neutron, did you? So talk. Ha-ha! <laughs> you can't talk, can you? You know why? Because you're pants! So zip it! Shout out to Hugh. We'll go out with Hugh. I've already left. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to close out with this segment with a song I remember from the Jimmy Neutron movie. It is a cover of the song Kids in America. You know that song? Yeah. We're the kids in America. Oh. Uh, that was a, Originally, it was a, like an 80s synth pop song, but it was covered for Jimmy Neutron by a very, very turn of the millennium girl pop band, you know, Britney Spears style. Who is it? No Secrets. Never heard of them. You know, <laughs> a no-name girl band from the turn of the millennium called No Secrets. They covered Kids in America. So we're going to go out with that, and then we'll be back with just this show of 2002. See you on the other side, kids. In America. <laughs> going anywhere, so neither should you. More Nicktoons TV coming up. Strap yourself in for the Jimmy Neutron Gotta Blast Rocket Races on Nick. Every Friday night this month, rockets designed by viewers like you at Nick.com will compete for glory. Four countdowns, four races, one grand champion at the end of the night. Will your rocket be racing? Watch and see. The Jimmy Neutron Gotta Blast Rocket Races start Friday at 8, 7 central. On the only network that lets you design, build, and operate heavy machinery, Nickelodeon. Western this week. <laughs> That's the theme song to your show, but it's not exactly representative of your show. I think it's completely representative of my show. I'm just saying, we talk Westerns and Jimmy Neutron, I would talk of Westerns here. It was 2002, the year of the Western. I guess, I don't know. We're going to talk about a lot of neo Westerns. Yeah. For, I don't know. I don't know about a lot, but we will talk about neo Westerns again soon. Like. Uh. Like my movie of 2003. Boo. Wait, is that Star Wars? No. Okay, it's fine. But Star Wars is also kind of a neo-Western. I know, that's the, why The I original thought it was. Star Wars was, you know. Uh, I assume all Star Wars are just supposed to be space samurai I, I westerns. I don't know what uh, you'd consider the new, st- the prequel trilogy. Is it a, it's not a Western, it's a folly. Wow. <laughs> it was I'm- a mistake. I liked Reawaken the Force. That was the only one I saw. Is well, that's that the called? new Star Wars. I'm talking about the prequels. Oh, prequels. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's there's Western in, in the new movie. Yeah. For I sure. Was like, Force Awakens. Absolutely. That's what it's called. First, First Awakens. But this isn't a Star Wars show. No. This is a TV show. <laughs> this is a podcast show. A podcast about TV. <laughs> We're talking about your TV of 2002. Yeah. Debuting September 20th, 2002 on Fox. Starring Nathan Fillion, Gina Torres, Alan Tudyk, Marina Baccarin, 
Adam Baldwin, Jewel State, Sean Marr, Summer Glau, Ron Glass, created by Joss Whedon. That is Firefly. Do, 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 do. That's, that's not a song in it. It's our second uh it's our second visit with the Whedon of Joss. It's true. It's true. We talked The first one was yours. No. You loved you... Buffy. No, no, no. We didn't even th- if you are new to the show, we did not talk about the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We talked about the the movie that doesn't get talked about very much. Because it's so great, it eclipses everything. There was a Buffy movie before there was a Buffy show. If you didn't know that, you should go listen to our podcast about it. Nineteen ninety two movies. And watch the movie. It's great. It's a time capsule. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Want to see one of the most early 90s movies? Yeah. Like like monster movies? It's that. It's wondrous. And, Except uh, for the parts you know, it's not. Continuing the trend of Joss getting screwed over. Oh, right. <laughs> by executives. Well, Joss. Sorry. <laughs> it, it, the guy had it, you know, stuff happened. He had it coming. But what, okay. is, what, is, what is Firefly? Firefly is a show set in the future. Not a time long, long ago, um, where humans have moved forward in technology so much that they are able to uh, get other planet. There are specific in-universe canon words, right? Like they get to um, other planets and they make them habitable for terraform. They terraform. That's a sci-fi term. That's true. They terraform. They um, get them up at Atmo and and yada, yada, yada. So basically... um, it's about people. It's about a crew of people just trying to survive in this world. Think of like, think of the the American frontier, right? That's what Joss was going for. He's like, when we started moving west, Manifest Destiny style, and the settlers would lay, that you know, they'd settle on this new untamed land. It was tamed by <laughs> other people. But the idea is the, the settlers, they're out on their own, you know, they're mm-hmm. away from the... The, the central centralized government of the United States, uh, they got to fend for themselves out there. That's why you get the Wild West. Yeah. You know, law is, uh, a, a, it's a choice, not a necessity. Yeah. <laughs> what am I trying to say? I, don't, I get what you're trying to say. Like, yeah. Uh, law, uh, people are a law unto their own, uh, but security is for the rich right. is a privilege for the rich. So in this new, you know, uh, sci-fi future, we are settling new planets, mm-hmm. but these planets are far away from, you know, the centralized uh, Earth. Earth-like. Federation. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Earth itself because they talk about um, the Earth that was. So yeah, we've bled Earth dry in this future. Got used up. And we moved on to greener. We made greener pastures. Well, some of them kind of look like. Up the hill and dry, but yeah. Well, I'm just saying a lot of the the a lot of this show is set in the border planets, meaning these mm-hmm. untamed, you know, terraformed planets, and we're you know, we follow a crew of, uh, you know, rugged, like you know, space settlers, really. Yeah. Space cowboys. Yeah. See you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how did you get into the show? What's what's your story with it? Because you've watched the show before I did. Yeah. Um. Netflix. You know, kids, there was a time when Netflix was the only streaming service. It's true. It's true. Hulu got in there relatively quick, but it did something different where we're not going to talk about Hulu. But Netflix was the only way you could really see things. And they just bought up everything. 
And I was like, oh, what is the show? Well, okay, actually, scratch that. Technically, I saw it on Netflix. But um, even before that, when I was younger and I had money to burn for no reason and no responsibilities and no understanding of what savings was, young me was stupid. Kids, don't be young me. I would just occasionally go to like Kmart, <laughs> may it rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, Kmart used to be the only department store. Is that true? <laughs> Um, or Target or Walmart or something and just like go through their DVD sections and if something looked interesting and I had money I would just buy it I had the most enormous collection of DVDs for no reason anyway I bought a movie called Serenity I watched it and I thought it was really really great Uh, and then one of my uncles who's really into a lot of sci-fi stuff I was like hey there's this movie that I bought that I really really like you want to watch it with me? And him being a great uncle's like, yeah, sure, kid, let's sit down and watch it. As soon as I put it on, he like lost his friggin' mind. <laughs> he was like, It's the uncle what? I'm thinking of, right? What? Yes. What? What is this? What is happening? This is Firefly. And I was like, no, it's called Serenity. I'm very confused. Look at the box. And so that's when I found out that the movie that I really enjoyed was based off of a series that I had not heard of at all. And it was really great to watch it with my uncle who didn't know the movie existed and just. That's unfortunate. I'm just, yeah, well, you know. That I saw the. No, no, no. It's unfortunate for Joss Whedon that he didn't, he was a fan of the show and did not know the movie existed. Yeah. Just saying, when we talk about the movie, uh, there's like. Because we will. Yeah, there's. There's a problem with it where no one went to go see it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're such a fan. Like, so few people saw the movie. Sorry, in my head. If you look at it online, they they short reference. It's called uh, BDM, the Big Dang Movie. <laughs> so, yeah. I, uh, I had never heard of Firefly or Serenity until the late 2000s. Okay. I hadn't mm. even heard. Like, I, I first started hearing Joss Whedon's name on podcasts. Around the time when Dollhouse got canceled, which Ugh. was his other TV show. Dollhouse was really good. I never saw Dollhouse. You you wouldn't. I actually Dollhouse is really good. <laughs> I'm just saying, First like all these podcasts I was listening to were a bunch of like nerds talking, and when Dollhouse got canceled, they were all complaining about. Man, they did it to Joss again. Yeah, you know, you know, just thinking about what happened to him with Firefly, and I was like, what the heck is Firefly? <laughs> you know, so I just hear this name, Joss Whedon, and I I know he's associated with Firefly. Dollhouse, and I think maybe I knew Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I knew Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I didn't know it was him, mm-hmm. but I might have at that point. Got it. Then all of a sudden, Joss Whedon gets hired to direct and write uh, The Avengers, and suddenly he's the biggest superstar in the world. I So I knew Joss Whedon made Firefly. I never wanted to watch it or cared until <laughs> this show. And don't you feel dumb it's for great. not? It is. We watched the whole thing. We watched the whole it w- thing. It wasn't hard to do. There's like 14 episodes. Yeah, but. not like. It is only 14 episodes. And we did it before we watched the movie. Because I wanted him to have the... I wanted you to have the experience that I didn't, which is watching it in the order of concession. Chronolodge. That one. Um, whereas I did it backwards. But uh, I can tell you, I, you know, talk about... Get, we, we didn't get, you know... Shafted, S- slapped around. <laughs> I could, we could talk about that. How the right. show was made. Let's do it. Poor, poor Whedon. Okay, <laughs> okay, before we say this, okay, I'm gonna like I, I identify with Joss Whedon's creative endeavors here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of revelations of late that you know Joss Whedon may not be the the greatest person on the on Earth. You know, he might ah. not be the greatest person in his you know friend group. Oh, okay, uh, he's 
uh, reportedly uh, tough to work with. He's very rude. Apparently, he was a monster on set uh, oh. for the Justice League when he came in to do the reshoots. Oh. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, Gal Gadot and Batfleck, they have nothing nice to say about him. Wow. But, uh, and, and, and you know, he may have some, some personal uh, issues, uh, perhaps with women, some, some, some gals from uh, Buffy's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently said that they have some bad things to say about him. So I don't want to like, you know, sweep that under the rug. Jo- uh, so any any praise we shower on Joss Whedon is, you know, independent of his problems. Yep. So, yes. yeah, Joss Whedon may be a horrible person, but he made a good TV show. Yeah, so. we're going to talk about the art and the artists that were also involved in this. Yeah, which, exactly. So many good actors. And by all accounts, everyone involved with this show has nothing but good things to say about Joss. So well, they're know, friends. You know, when you're young and your head hasn't gone all big with your fame. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Joss, get some help. Figure yourself out. Be better. Apologize. And uh, we're going to talk, talk about your TV show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea the things that you're referencing. Please don't add to them. Go. As we talked about in our 1992 movies episode, up-and-coming Hollywood screenwriter Joss Whedon experienced creative frustrations with his first feature film, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, no. <laughs> Apparently, uh, he wrote the screenplay. It was then bought up by some studio. I can't remember. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe it was Fox. This might, is Cliff Nose version. It, it might have been Fox. Of our episode. I yeah. think it was Fox. Yeah, I think it was Fox. So you know. Yeah, because they still own the rights to when the TV show was made. Yes, even though it did not air on Fox. Ah. They gave it to the WB. But Fox did own the rights. Mm-hmm. And they hired um, some 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 a writer-director team, I think. To fix it? <laughs> well, it was like the, the director of the film had a very, very, very different vision than what Joss Whedon did. Mm-hmm. We know what Joss Whedon's vision was because he made a TV show later. Yeah. And then the movie is like... Tongue-in-cheek, goofy, silly, <laughs> corny, um, and Joss was on set, you know, trying to give like as like a creative consultant because he made the movie, mm-hmm. and no one wanted to listen to him, including like veteran actors who were on set. They were like, "I'm not listening to you. You're yeah. not the director." And uh, he had to walk off set because they they watched, you know, he he didn't want to watch other people ruin his movie. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he ever saw it? Uh, probably he might have. I don't know. Like just the once, not on. <laughs> Not on a premiere day, but... Yeah. Mm. Following the Buffy movie debacle, Whedon worked as a screenwriter for hire for the next few years, doing uncredited rewrites on films like The Getaway, Speed, Waterworld, and Twister, and writing-slash-co-writing films like Alien Resurrection, Titan A.E., and Toy Story. I've only seen two of the movies that you mentioned now. That last one, by the way, earned him an Oscar nomination. Hey! Oscar-nominated Joss Whedon. Well, just like Oscar nominated Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> we should call him Jossie Quasar. No, I hate it. <laughs> Whedon was eventually approached by Gail Berman, president and CEO of production company Sand Dollar Television, who owned the rights to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, to develop a Buffy show. Whedon, feeling that the pitch more closely resembled his original vision, agreed to helm the series, yeah. which is like the craziest life, uh, like life raft. Mm-hmm. possible you know like they threw him a, a lifesaver right you know i i feel like I, that's like the only time i've ever heard that happening in hollywood where a dude makes a movie or writes a movie it's it's butchered it's not well received it's kind of a cult thing but like it's not good mm-hmm. or particularly memorable 
and he's creatively frustrated and they decide, hey, we're going to give you another chance. Do you want to direct, like, you know, create and, sh- and, and run a series based on your original vision? It's crazy. Yes. Give it to me. Give it to me now. <laughs> yeah, that is wild. That is a boon I've not heard of many or any getting. So, Gail Berman, good job. Good job. Thank you for giving us Buffy. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. Debuted in 1997 on the WB, where it was both a rating smash and a critical darling. Yes. Um, I, it was it was big enough for me to remember it. <laughs> I never watched it. but Yeah. Uh, did, did you ever watch? Buffy? I watched here and there. I caught, uh, like, I know sweeping movements of the series overall in general. And I would catch a couple episodes or go out of my way to, like, watch the musical episode or the episode where... Uh, <laughs> Buffy Mary Spike um, and stuff like that, but uh, I didn't I didn't super watch it because uh, music scares me and I was young. It's kind of a spooky series. Mm-hmm. Fun, yeah. I could watch it now and not have a problem, but as a child, I'd be like, ah! and nightmares. I remember the like I was watching the kids WB like after school, mm-hmm. you know, watch Pokemon. I remember a lot of the the promos for it. So you know, just like promos for Buffy, like give me a. You Nostalgic know. feeling. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That and the seventh heaven. Uh. Yeah. Following the early success of Buffy, Whedon co-created the spin-off series Angel. Yep. Which saw moderate success, but unfortunately did not live up to its sister series critically or in the ratings. Yep. Did you watch Angel? I watched a couple of episodes of Angel. I think I had uh season one on DVD. <laughs> I never never even like, never, never never even heard of Angel until you know this Really? The yeah, the the Whedon verse. Uh, talk hmm. entered my brain. Yeah. <laughs> with Angel, Whedon also experienced creative frustrations with WB executives, primarily over the show's tone. So, continuing a trend. Yeah. The guy can't escape it. No. Like, we don't like your tone, sir. Shut up. <laughs> Following the turn of the millennium, Whedon, while both Buffy and Angel were still airing, began developing a sci fi Western television show concept, having been inspired by the historical novel The Killing Angels by Michael. Shara. <laughs> I'm sorry, one more time. Shara. <laughs> which chronicles the Battle of Gettysburg during the American Civil War. Ew. Whedon wanted to explore people who had fought on the losing side of a war and their experiences afterward as pioneers and immigrants on the outskirts of civilization, much like the post-American Civil War era of Reconstruction in the American Old West. Hmm. Which is kind of like what happened, yeah. you know, like the main ca- some of the main characters of Firefly are essentially ex-Confederates. Yep. You know, they were rebels. Yep. And we don't hold that against them, but we would if this was the real world. <laughs> and that, that the like the the prime era of the Old West, especially for movies like old Westerns, it's mm. usually like right after the Civil War. Like I was like 1865 to like 1895. It's mm-hmm. like that little that little period. That's. The gold, you know, the golden old west. Right. It's prime uh, John Wayne time. Hmm. Clint Eastwood time. <laughs> Whedon also wanted to create something for television that was more character driven and gritty than most modern sci-fi. Television science fiction, he felt, had become too pristine and rarefied. I'm like, I, I don't know what he's talking about. Like sci-fi of the late 90s, early 2000s. Maybe he's talking about freaking Star Wars, the, the prequels. Mm-hmm. Those were pristine. <laughs> I'm just saying you watch the, you watch Attack of the Clones like everyone's everything's too you know yeah. sterile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
like Stargate was probably on television still. Like the some of those Star Trek yeah. series. Uh, Star Trek is still pretty pristine. Yeah, like I, I suppose it's so. grittier than like yeah. the prequels uh, for sure, but it's still all like it, when you think of the ship. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I I will though agree with the because well, I love character driven stuff, right? Like that's my favorite kind of media, rather than like the plot is gonna plot and then we're gonna go with where it goes. We're gonna go with where it takes us. Uh, and I could say of all the things that I never actually gave Stargate a try, so I don't know about that. But I will say the other uh, things of its time, I n- didn't stick around for it and probably it was because it felt very formulaic. This is definitely gritty mm-hmm. for sure. Fox, regretting their decision not to air Buffy on their network despite owning the rights to the property, ordered a pilot for Whedon's new show titled Firefly. <laughs> Production on that pilot... A two-part episode titled Serenity began in March 2002. The pilot reportedly cost more than $8 million to produce. Get your money, kids. So uh, this is where the problems begin. <sighs> there are a lot of problems. So yeah, they they ordered this pilot. They spent $8 million on it. It's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. They let him do that. That's pretty unheard of is to like, you know, it's a full hour-long pilot. Hour and a half? Or Yeah, hour and a half. It's two yeah. four, two. 40 minute episodes together as yeah. a two parter, you know, pilot. So it's eventually feature length, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. Just near. like the movie, which is also called Serenity. <laughs> yeah. Um, they they did this. And it, what did they? Let's you know, we'll get there. What they decided to do with it. Uh, while nearly the entire main cast, as we know it, was there from the start, the character of Inara Sarah. Mm-hmm. Was played by Rebecca Gayhart, not Morena Baccarin. Who's Rebecca Gayhart? You should Google. 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 I'm sorry, Miss Rebecca. I just I just don't know who you are, so I'm gonna Google you. I hate to say it, I don't know who this woman is. <laughs> I don't. I didn't either. But thank you for your service, Mrs. Gayhart. For your service, you almost had. Sorry, I just remembered the character, and I feel bad about saying for the service you almost had. Whedon knew he was going to replace her early in the pilot's filming, so he purposely shot scenes of the character interacting with the crew in singles so that the only portions that had to be reshot would be the shots of Anara. So, shot reverse shot for Anara scenes only so That's that they could replace her very so easily. so dirty. That's so dirty, Joss. That Why? Might, that might be a hint at, you know, uh, Whedon's, you know, monster attitude on set. You Why know? do you think he wanted to replace her? Did he just think that she wasn't doing the good job? It I wasn't the look in w- his mind. She just wasn't fitting his vision. She was like, I can't have another. He was like, I can't have another Buffy episode. I guess. So, mm. yep. Uh, that, he, he knew he was going to replace her, but he used he used her on set anyway. Ugh. Morena Baccarin was eventually cast to replace Gayhart. And basically, they brought her on set, you know, mid-production. Redid all of her scenes. There you go. She fit very well into the, the, the chemistry of the crew. She did. Like, I wouldn't even... There's only one Inara. Yeah. And it's her. There's only... Like, I see her in other movies, and I'll go, it's Inara! <laughs> She'll always be Inara. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, no. Fox executives rejected the pilot once it was finished, <sighs> feeling that it lacked action and that the character of Captain Reynolds was too, quote, dour. 
Nathan Fillion was just too dour. Nathan Fillion. He was too much of a grump. Yeah, Nathan Fillion is a grump. Okay. I was like, I, we watched different pilots, by the way. Because I was like, yeah, he's a little serious in certain places because the the situation needs seriousness. But he's still kind of like... He's so goofy. He's Nathan Fillion. He's, he's like Nathan Fillion. He's ultra charismatic. Like, the only thing more wrong the only statement more wrong than that would be saying brendan fraser the grump like <laughs> what are you doing it's fine it's not fine and also you're right he like he hit all the beats narratively and it made sense as to who the captain was like he opens sorry we're gonna talk about the, the show but like it opens with him being jokey and and trying to boost morale in a literal well, war that, zone that scene was reshot later in order to address the problem. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, yeah. So, so the opening scene was kind of like a course correction. Mm, okay. But but there's still like, and they also Fox also didn't like. There's a scene where Captain Reynolds is like having a meeting with like a you know, a Crowley, like an underground with, boss type yeah. guy. You know, like Crowley, a, the King of Hell, uh huh, criminal, <laughs> criminal underboss kind of thing, and uh, he he doesn't like start a fight. He doesn't shoot anybody. He just you know, leaves. Yeah. He he takes his lumps and leaves. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he's a coward. <laughs> we don't they, like we don't like that Malcolm Reynolds is a coward. What? He's not a leading man. He needs What? To, yeah, it's like, why didn't he fight anybody? Is that literally a statement? I don't Pause. know about I don't know if they they just didn't like his cowardly nature in the pilot. Pause. <clears throat> Excuse me, Fox executives? Not the current ones. <laughs> not the current ones. I don't know what you're doing. I don't watch your shows. They work it's at Disney fine. now. <sighs> That's <sighs> Excuse me. You put this on your show because you were upset that you didn't do Buffy. But the reason Buffy did well is because the showrunner was, in fact, the showrunner. And his vision was as the you're you're wrong. This is why you had this is why the show was done so dirty, because you tried to Fox. I love the animal. Everything else about you sucks. And your friends. <laughs> oh my god those are different that's a different well it sucks that's the fox of today now this the, the foxes of two i don't know it's kind of complicated <laughs> fox told whedon on a friday afternoon that he had to submit a new pilot script on the following monday morning or that the show would not be picked up so he went drinking for several hours you've got one weekend to write an entire new pilot can i the the anxiety those words just shot through me as someone who went to college for writing <laughs> and having to like do a turnaround that quick i want to throw up and we- your life is staked on it ugh Whedon and executive producer tim Minear closeted themselves for the weekend to write what became the new pilot the train job and that's the pilot that aired <laughs> and look it's a good episode. It's a terrible pilot. I will say it's somehow he Joss Whedon pulled off two good pilots that pretty well introduce all the characters, what their dynamics are and everything. Like he did it. He did it. Like Serenity, the two parter is an excellent pilot to introduce all the characters, what they're, you know, and their relationships and mm-hmm. how they interact with each other and how they build what yep. the stakes are, you know, what the world, what, what the history of the world is. Train job does most of that too, you know, just kind of quicker because <laughs> it's not a two-parter. But some, I was like, 
He did it. He wrote two good pilots. It was a good pilot, but it was not the better pilot. I agree. It's a terror. So therefore, it was a terrible pilot in my mind. <laughs> anyway, the train job was approved by Fox, and production on the new pilot began July eighth, two thousand two, a month and a half before it aired. Fox, listen <laughs> to me. You're trash. That is all for now. Yeah. So the the the, the two parter that they filmed and finished shelved did not air at all well not not right away it aired eventually but way down the line by the way that's like the first episode like the first episode of the series it's like the the earliest thing in the chronology it is but yeah they started with the train job serenity in the trash for now I'm so mad. I'm That's so mad. That's what they about did. That. They did that to him. I'm I'm so incredible. And they had to hustle to make a full new pilot in, in a month and a half. I'm very very glad that I did not watch this while it was airing. I'm sorry. I'm the reason why now it got canceled. But you why would you butcher what? Okay, continue. Continue. Go. We're going to be more mad here. <sighs> Though Firefly was intended to be a gritty character-driven series, Fox instead chose to market it as an action comedy series. I have a promo. I don't want it. I'm going to play you a promo. I don't want it, please. Before Firefly aired. This is the show that Fox was trying to sell to people. Please, no. I'm going to do it. Take a six-shooting spaceman. Bring it on. Pilot Savant. Who's flying this thing? Oh, right, that would be me. Tough guy named Jane. Oh, I'm gonna scare him. Pain is scary. Cosmic hooker. How's business? None of yours. And a girl in a box. What do you get? The most twisted new show on television. Let's move. Out there? Oh, it's out there. That's what makes it special. From the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Firefly, the series premiere next week on Fox. Problems. All it's 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 like many layers of problems. It's like every aspect of it is worse than the last. Cosmic whore. Cosmic hooker. They don't even mention book or or Kaylee or I Simon a, and I. What a tough guy named Jane. I girl in a box. What? What? Okay. And and like the Smash Mouth music is what really pushes it over the edge for me. <laughs> like I'm like, why Smash Mouth for this? The problem is, it is a comedic show. It's funny, but not like this. No. This makes it feel like the Orville or something. <laughs> like it's like a goofy comedy, or what? Well, uh, Third Rock from the Sun or something. Fox, come here again for a second. Come come back. Come back. You make bad choices, which is why your company is bought out. You can't do better, but you should have. Go away again. We're not done yet. Ugh. And to top it all off, Firefly was scheduled to debut and air during Fox's Friday night lineup, historically known as the television death slot. Tell me. I think it's like television that debuts on Friday night, especially on Fox, has like a 95% death rate. Because people are out. Yes. And that... the people who are not out are old people who or children. do not want to watch what is the sci-fi? Yeah, the show is too, like, untraditional to appeal to, like, you know, traditional television fans, like old folks who don't, you know, they just want safe, easy television. Yep. And then young kids, they want to watch Snick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or uh, whatever, you know, they want to watch cartoons. Um, and all the young people, teenagers and, and, you know, young adults are probably out doing stuff. They're at the movies. They're drinking. They're, you know, on dates. Reading a book on their beds. 
I think, and I was listening to some podcasts, I think the, the logic was Friday night is where Fox saw success for the X-Files. And they were trying to penetrate the X-Files crowd. Which I, I was like, there is there is a method to the madness, but they really should have debuted it any other night but Friday night if they wanted to give this show a chance. It's like X-Files was a success despite its yeah. time slot, not because of it. And you put it... Tell me you wanted to throw away $8 million without telling me you wanted to More throw than away. that. Oh, They my made gosh. two pilots. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And that's... The making of Firefly. Wow. So far. Wow. So far, we're. I mean, you know, after the after we talk about the episode we watched, uh, there's going to be more stupid nonsense. Okay. Well, let's get into it. All right. So uh, the episode we we typically we only talk the pilot episode, right? Yes. Now we had. I think we we didn't really have a choice. It was your choice. It was like, do you want to watch Serenity first, which is the two parter, or do you want to watch The Train Job, which is the pilot that aired? What did we watch? Serenity, of course. We watched the pilot as intended because since the show has finished, the DVDs on streaming, Amazon, it's all presented in the order it was intended to be presented in. So Serenity is the first episode that pretty much most people will Mm -hmm. watch now. Yep. Anybody, anyone getting into the show, you're going to watch Serenity first. So we watched Serenity. It's a two-parter so we only watched the f- well. We're only going to talk the first half. Yeah, we watched like, the whole thing because it's we were good. Turning it off, <laughs> but we we're just going to talk about the first half mm-hmm. um, because it's a pretty solid like yeah introduction to everything. So uh, let's let me throw to Captain uh, Malcolm Reynolds to get us up to speed. Here's how it is: Earth got used up, so we terraformed a whole new galaxy of Earths. Some rich and flush with the new technologies, some not so much. Central planets, them as formed the Alliance, waged war to bring everyone under their rule. Few idiots tried to fight it, among them, myself. I'm Malcolm Reynolds, Captain of Serenity. Got a good crew, fighters, pilot, mechanic. We even picked up a preacher and a bona fide companion. There's a doctor too, took his genius sister out of some Alliance camp so they're keeping a low profile. You got a job, we can do it. Don't much care what it is. That's it. Yep. That's the pitch. In 35 seconds. <laughs> I opened the segment with the theme song because the theme song typ- typically opens every episode. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like they play that narration and then the theme song. The show's theme song, which is called The Ballad of Serenity, <laughs> was written by Joss Whedon himself. Oh. And it was performed by blues singer Sonny Rhodes. And then uh, Greg Edmondson composed the musical score for the series. Okay. It's good music, too. Yeah. Very, very Western inspired. A lot of twanging and. It fits the form. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, where do we begin? Where where does Serenity begin? As most uh, cowboy things do, on a scavenge where they are looting a loot loot. Oh, wait. That's not where we begin. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we begin on a battlefield. The Gettysburg, even. It's a flashback to the the war. I guess he, he alluded to it in that narration, but like. The Alliance is trying to bring all the planets under their rule, and there are a few rebels fighting against it. Yeah. So you get, like, the final battle of this, you know, uh, this war between between the Alliance and the rebels. It's the Battle of Serenity. And is that what, is that what it is? Yep. Oh, that's, so that's why they named... The ship. The ship Serenity. Mm-hmm. The, ship, uh, the ship, by the way, is called Serenity. It is a Firefly-class ship. Yep. So Malcolm Reynolds, like, spaceship is called Serenity of the Firefly. 
class. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's kind of a flashback to him and his crew on like, you know, this losing battle. It's like the deciding battle of the, the war. And it's not necessarily him and his crew. It's him and one his, crew. Yeah, his lieutenant. Uh, the rest of the crew is collected right after. So like two of the main characters of the show are featured in this flashback. Mm -hmm. You got Malcolm Reynolds, of course. Yes. And the other one is Zoe. Zoe Washburn. Yep. <laughs> you don't hear their last name very often. Oh, I mean, I do, but my brain only calls her husband Wash because so I forget that they have yep. Mm -hmm. Anyway. The the this this scene is cool. Again, it was it, <laughs> It was reshot before this episode eventually aired mm -hmm. to provide more action that that Fox wanted. Yeah, um, and it's 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 a slick looking like action sequence. Agreed. Like it, it looks very expensive for television. It's got a bunch of CG, a bunch of explosions, mm -hmm. um, and and you know and some and also a bunch of like practical, just like dirt and grit and yeah and. Um, Set design. They shot it at night. It's very moody. Yeah. And you get some good character stuff, too. Yeah. Like, uh, I think you get a little bit of Captain Reynolds' uh, trademark charm. Because what, what's happening? They, they are losing. They are losing. Um, they are pinned down. They're waiting for backup to come. Um, waiting for, like, an airstrike. Yeah. To, like, you know, save them from the enemy that's advancing on their position. Yeah. And there's one member of Reynolds' uh platoon or whatever uh that's like he's like freaking out he would be private ryan never seen that <laughs> well he's he's you know he's he's just cowering in the corner he's like we're gonna die man we're gonna die yeah and malcolm reynolds comes over and slaps some sense into him verbally <laughs> hey listen to me bendis look at me listen we're holding this valley no matter what we're gonna die we're not gonna die you can't die, Bendis. You know why? Because we are so very pretty. We are just too pretty for God to let us die. Huh? Look at that chiseled jaw. Huh? Come on. Come on, listen to me. Listen to that. Those are angels. Blow the alliance to the hot place. Joey, tell the 82nd. They're to not coming. Command says it's too hot. They're pulling out. We're to lay down arms. That's what happened. That's what happened. They're losers. Wow. Like, True. Yep. <laughs> and so you, it kind of really sets the tone and like kind of like, I think, informs Reynolds' character. Like Mal is, he bears this burden mm -hmm. his entire life. You know, it's like, yeah, you 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 lost. Yeah. And you you now have to live in the Alliance's world. Yeah, and and it and he lost more than like the battle. Like he lost his faith there, right? And his pride. Not no, not just his pride. He he legitimately was a man of God. Oh, that's right, because he had like a cross. On yeah, him. he like believed in God and had great faith in in God and in his like religion stuff. And af after this point, oof, oof, you've never seen it in bitter to fallen away Christian like this man. That's part of the reason he's so like. Rawr. It's true. Yep. And you heard you heard Zoe. We'll we'll be introduced to Zoe a little bit more later. Mm -hmm. But uh, she's basically his right hand. Yep. And she's and been with him since the war. So it's like they have a very complex relationship. You mm -hmm. know. Uh, mm -hmm. I, th I I think there's like there's romantic history there. 
you know, it's hinted at. Okay. And, the, you know, obviously I think Mal's way too self-destructive to even, like, you know, be in a relationship with a woman at the moment. And Zoe has far and she too moved much on. self-respect. Yeah, and she moved <laughs> on. And, you know, she's she's married to someone else. And I think that, you know, that creates issues. But it's like she re- they respect each other. They fought with each other. It's like there's like a deep friendship. Mm-hmm. It's like they're soulmates in the platonic sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it, a very interesting relationship. Yeah, she's the only one who can like, we'll talk more about it, but she's definitely the only one who can speak her mind and like be upfront about like what you're doing is stupid, Captain. And he's like, yes, but we're going to do it anyway. And she will like, she's like, I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to give you my piece and hopefully it changes your mind. If not, I'm with you. Like, ugh, I love Zoe. <laughs> Another production note here. Um Especially with this scene. I think it, it does a good job of like showing what Whedon wanted to do visually with the show. Mm-hmm. In order to obtain an immersive and immediate feel, the episodes of Firefly were filmed in a documentary style with handheld cameras, giving them a look of found footage mm-hmm. with deliberately misframed and out-of-focus subjects. So yeah. Very shaky. Especially this scene. You know, obviously it's like a war zone. Yeah. It looks like a war film. You know, like, save, like Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Very gritty. Yes. You know, he did. He's like, I don't want to do any sweeping shots, just rough and tumble Mm -hmm. documentary stuff. Especially considering we have to add this after the fact yet again. Yeah. Anyway, we we jump forward in time after this scene ends. You know, this scene just establishes kind Mm -hmm. of uh, where Mal's at, where his head's at. Um, I think it's like six years or something. Yep. And in that time, he has got a ship Mm -hmm. called Serenity. It's Farfly. He's you know, created a crew or he's, he's, uh, gathered, he's gathered a crew of misfits. Mm -hmm. We'll meet those misfits. But before we meet them, what are they doing? They are scavenging, um, supplies from a, a derelict ship. ship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Floating in the black, which is illegal. Like they're pirates too. You know, like they're, they're space pirates as well. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, you know, they're like vultures. They, Find a derelict ship and they start like, you know. They're outlaws. You got to get your money how you get your money. They rummage and they look for valuables so they could sell it on the black market later. Yep. They have a run in with the Alliance. You know, there's just an Alliance patrol and they're just like, who are these folks? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. You, they can't be doing that. And so they're on the run. They get like, I don't even know what the supplies are that uh, they collect. They're, they turn out to be rations. Okay. And, and, and in this in this frontier world you know or this frontier galaxy mm-hmm. um things like food and medical supplies are like gold yeah and so they they intend to sell these rations to some planet in need yeah later um it, i don't know if you have the clip but later uh later in the episode zoe actually like is speaking to this and saying something about how uh like yeah some of the places that are better taken up by the that are better taken care of by the Alliance are taken care of, but there are just some planets that um, they uh, Atmo is established. They put settlers there with a couple of sheep and say good luck. I do have that. Oh, This is later in the episode, so you're going to hear voices that you don't recognize yet, but that's fine. So does it happen a lot? Government commandeering your ship, telling you where to go? That's what governments are for, getting a man's way. Well, it's good if the supplies are needed. We're just happy to be doing good works. I hear a lot of the border moons are in bad shape. Uh, plagues and famine. Well, some of that's exaggerated and some of it ain't. All those moons, just like the central planets, they're as close to Earth that was as we can make them. Gravity, atmosphere and such, but... Once they're terraformed? 
No dumb settlers on there with nothing but blankets, hatchets, maybe a herd. Some of them making, some of them. Yeah. There you go. And that's that's why, right? Like, if we're getting rations that should be, like, that mess is gold. You can feed people, you know? Like, especially through harsh whatever seasons your planet goes through and stuff like that. But they're smuggling contraband. It's burning a hole in their ship, you yep. know, figuratively. <laughs> they, they just got, they're sitting on it, you know? They're, they're like Han Solo in a way. Like, they're smugglers. Yeah. And so, like the full, the pretty much most of this episode, the whole two parter is them trying to offload this these goods, yeah, um, and get the alliance off their tail. Yeah, because uh, they pick it up, but they didn't realize until they had it that it was stamped with a alliance seal. So you can't just offload that to anyone. It's harder to yeah. sell when you can see that it is stolen, as is with most things. I would guess, as I've never fenced anything. <laughs> So the first place they go to, and I alluded to this earlier, they go to meet like a, a crime boss on a planet to uh, sell it to him. Bowler. It's badger. Like badger. I was like, it's some animal with B. Badger. Yeah. And he's like this little cockney man. Yes. But I like this scene between them because uh, Badger kind of gives Mal the rundown and kind of like you know, undresses Mal verbally, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of like tells the audience who Mal- Malcolm Reynolds is, mm-hmm. what his deal is, and what Badger and the crime world think of Malcolm Reynolds. Sergeant Malcolm Reynolds, Bowles and Bayonets Brigade. Big, tough veteran. Now you got yourself a ship and you're a captain. Only I think you're still a sergeant, see? Still a soldier. Man of honor in a den of thieves. Well, this is my Goram den. And I don't like the way you look down on me. I'm above you. Better than. Businessman, see? Roots in the community. You're just a scavenger. Honestly, the fact that they got Mark Shepard, I was like, I wish he had been on this show more. I love Mark Shepard. <laughs> That's Badger. Got it. <laughs> but I love that... He's you're a soldier and a den of thieves. It's like, yeah, that is Malcolm Reynolds. Like Mal, Mal has a, a sense of honor and mm-hmm. dignity that the other people he's forced to deal with don't. Yeah, he has a code and it's a little bit broken because of how broken he is. But he does not like the deals that he has to make, but he does them because he feels like that's the position he has no choice but to be in because of the winning of the alliance. He's like the, he's like the Mandalorian. Oh, gosh. I'm just saying, you talk about like other like sci-fi westerns, like mm-hmm. The Mandalorian. It ha- ha- it's very similar mm-hmm. to this. You but know, this in terms came of first, tone. so. Of course. <laughs> um, and you get that trademark uh, Whedon-esque dialogue here, like just quippy and snappy and mm-hmm. revealing a lot about characters through dialogue. Yeah. Like he's one of the best yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's why uh, the Avengers was so strong as a movie because he was able to just kind of like introduce all of these weird comic book characters easily and quickly, even for people who hadn't seen the other movies leading up to it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we totally understand Iron Man and Captain America. We get their deal just through dialogue and interactions with other people. Yep, we get Loki's deal. We get like all. Yeah. Yep. He. It's. It's. An art form for sure, because it can so easily feel like, well, you're just exposition dumping. You're um, 
like this is weighing us down. We've all been in those things, those like long scenes where people are just walking down hallways. Yes, I'm pointing at you, Star Wars. And um, not fun, very boring. But this, like, even though the camera shots are not super dynamic, they're they are still good. Yeah. Um, and this seems very like low tech. Like they're just in a back room somewhere. Like an- Yeah. And but the mood lining is on point. Everything is working so that the words that he is speaking carry the weight of the moment. Right. Um, that's good. That's great. Snap, snap. <laughs> and Badger used the term "go ram." Yeah, that was uh, that was Joss Whedon's way of cursing on television without actually cursing. Okay, just kids. I want to say this real quick about it. Like, there's a lot of half curse words in here, so he could get around it. But there's a lot of actual filthy curse words in here they're just in mandarin like they got rid of they got away with it they got away with it because american <laughs> well so it's it's funny like the the show has its own dialect yeah you know, because it's the future like slang and mm-hmm. other things like oh, it's a good place to talk about that yeah. yeah yeah so one you know joss Whedon was trying to come up with ways to skirt around censors mm-hmm. by having curse words that aren't really curse words so you can't say gosh, gosh yeah. dang equivalent yeah. on television. That's like maybe the most filthy word. Mm-hmm. You could say the D word yep. by itself, but you cannot say God D word. Yeah. That's that, absolutely not. Yeah. Which is weird. So he just Same says go, go, go Ram. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have an F word equivalent. I just can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. I um, talking about just kind of like the language of the world. So I you didn't say. Well, OK. This is the world is uh, or the alliance is kind of a collection. It's the alliance is basically what you would have on Earth that was consider the Americas, the UN, the, I, I feel like and China. Yeah. Um, And so it's so interesting. Like this is one of the things again, right? Like the only thing I liked about episode one of Star wars was the costuming (laughs) and i feel the same here not the only thing but uh when you're looking at how gritty and everything is in the show but you're also just seeing people of color like just all shades and everything and we're all speaking in whatever accent we want because this is the kind of world um and universe we created and then like clothing isn't necessarily just like oh it's western we're in like kind of a western stuff it's east um style and a light like a lot of stuff the meshing of like those two cultures to make this one global or universal culture no matter like where you are um whether you're on a bird or planet or you're within the alliance is so interesting but the closer you get to like the uh alliance planets the more like uh eastern everything is interesting because i mean you think about it it's like as time progresses like as time progresses, our society gets more multicultural anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think Joss Whedon was just, like, anticipating that. It's like, in the far, far future, what's going to happen? People are just going to be speaking English and Chinese, like, interchangeably. Yeah. You know, it's just that's just the way it goes, you know? So, like, Malcolm Reynolds would just, like, curse in Chinese mm-hmm. or Mandarin. Uh, yeah. yeah. They just do that. And then, like, we meet some crew members who are, you know, like, they have, like, the little parasol, like mm-hmm. you see in, like, you know, traditional Chinese yeah. uh, culture. Uh, it, it's in, it's cool. Yeah, even even in like one of those scenes when like the crew lands on a planet, the planet that they're talking to Badger on, um, they go their separate ways because they all have different tasks. And when uh, Zoe's husband 
like leaves from her. He literally says an entire sentence in Mandarin to her that's basically like, hey, be safe. Make sure to come back. I love you. Like not a word of English in yep. that. Not a word. And you're just like, yep. Okay. Like, I love that. <laughs> and then there's slang that's introduced in the show that like means its own thing in Firefly. Mm-hmm. So uh, shiny is yep. a popular one. So shiny means like, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. Wow. Daybuck. It's like all encompassing. It's like, that. oh man, that's shiny, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's really fun that, you know, he used his language as like language actually adapts, you know, yeah. and changes over time. It's like in the far, far future, the word shiny might not mean the same thing it does today. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's cool and interesting. Yeah. I love it. Oh, mastercraft of Very English. clever. Or not English. Masterclass of... Masterclass. Masterclass. Okay, forget it. I'm not going to say it. All right, let's catch up with Malcolm and his crew right after meeting with Badger. Okay. So he goes, he meets Badger with like basically his two muscles. Like two members of his crew are like the muscle. Mm-hmm. We've talked Zoe. Who's the other person? Jane, the man with the girl's name. Yeah, tough guy named Jane. <laughs> I don't understand why we didn't leave that some bitch in the pool of his own blood. We'd be dead. Can't get paid if you're dead. Can't get paid if you crawl away like a bitty little pug, neither. I got a share of this job. 10% of nothingness. Let me do the math here. Nothing, and then nothing. So we're trying to buy our own Boros. There's gotta be Boros is too big. It's crawling with the lions. They could just be waiting for us. You really think Badger will sell us out to the feds? He hasn't already. I want to talk a little bit more about Jane and Zoe and, mm-hmm. and their stuff, but before we do that, uh, the the scenario they're in, I think it illuminates another theme of the show, which is that this crew is always scrapping. They're yeah. they're always poor. Yeah, they're always just looking to just make a little extra money, it's do like that one eat, last job, put gas in their freaking car. Yeah, I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> So like the, the this conversation in particular really sells that idea. Yeah. Alliance catches us with government goods. We'll lose the ship. That's never gonna happen. Sir, we could just dump the cargo. No rotten way. We ain't had a job in weeks. I didn't sign on with this crew taking the sights. We need coin. Jane, your mouth is talking. You might want to look to that. I'm ready to stop talking. Whenever. Right though. Last two jobs we have for week T. We got nothing saved. Taking on passengers won't help near enough. We don't get paid for this cargo. We don't have enough money to fuel the ship, let alone keep her in repair. Should be dead in the water. So, I I I told myself I was going to research this, and I forgot. But I'm I am one hundred percent certain that Joss Whedon was influenced by another show we've talked about on Media Made. Is it Cowboy Bebop? It sure is. <laughs> like. They are in this very same situation that the crew from Cowboy Bebop are. Mm-hmm. They are constantly poor, yeah. constantly just trying to take odd jobs just to put food on the table and gas in the ship. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a dog. <laughs> they don't. They've got a Jane. They have an Ean. Oh, Jane's the dog. No. <laughs> Sorry, I said Ean. They have a Ed. Yeah, they kind of have a little <laughs> yeah, Edward. Um. Okay. You're right. I think that there's definitely some influences there. But I would also say, like, this is one of those things that is just a universal experience for those who have been poor. Hello, kids, me. Um, That kind of, like, 
shuffle like that regardless of anything that's going on that you're just kind of like yeah like i have two jobs and i can barely make rent and i do have to choose between putting fuel in my car or buying food for myself like you know and i can imagine being not a part of the government not care you know like having to do things on the outskirts and that is exactly what it is you do have to work job to job and do your very best to keep your house upkeeped to keep your home going and i i'm not saying this is a ripoff no but i think there's like some common elements there to make me think that whedon i don't know if like he he either borrowed a little bit or like they're both borrowing from the same universe, universal experience, like you said. Um, yeah. But it's hard not to see the similarities Agreed. once you notice them. And um, the tone, you know, it's a space Western, right? Mm-hmm. See you space cowboy. It's the same. You know, yeah, yeah, see yeah. you space Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Space outlaw. So I just wanted to point that out. And then, of course, uh, the plan now is to offload this cargo. Uh, elsewhere on a border planet, find a new buyer that's not going to, you know, give them lip. Yep. So they run down some potential buyers. So do you like Badger said, the border planets? I'm thinking Whitefall, maybe talk to patients. Sir, we don't want to deal with patients again. Why not? She shot you. Well, yeah, she did a bit still. So we find somebody else, Horowitz. You can't afford it. Hold them, boys. <laughs> they wouldn't touch it. You want me to go through the list? Capshaws are brain blown. Grubik's dead. He's dead? Tom got hit by Reavers. Burned it right down. I ain't going anywhere near Reaver territory. Them people ain't White Fall is the safest and the closest. It's been a long time since patients shot me, and that was due to a perfectly legitimate conflict of interest. I got no grudge. She owns half that damn moon now. She can afford what we got, and she might just need it. I still don't think the old lady's the way. You know, with minus some of the, the, the nouns in that exchange, most of that could have just been dialogue from a Western TV show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um a few things with that. I the, that the 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 second half of the episode, the thing we're not going to talk about. That's they're they're describing what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, they're going to meet up with patients to sell this cargo to mm-hmm. her. And you know, there's going to be a western style standoff <laughs> in a ravine probably shot somewhere in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> shot possibly just a 40 minute drive from where we are currently. Hey, you know, cuz every every terraform planet in in Firefly looks like the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> You know, it's like Power Rangers, man. Uh, they they shot in the same canyons that Power Rangers shot in. It's so funny. If it works, it works. Yep. But either way, yeah, they, they have like, you know, a lot of Western standoffs in Firefly. Yeah. Uh, because I can't talk about it because it's in the second half of the episode. They have a standoff, right? Reynolds, Mal and his crew and Patience, Patience and her and crew, crew, right? And she they're on horses and, you know, they have the iconic shot of like, you know, a hand hovering over the sidearm, mm-hmm. you know, the gun in your 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 holster, right? Right. But the thing is the the gun and the hand are on the very, very, very edge of the frame. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And I was like, you remember that? Yeah. I was like, that's a very interesting shot. I wonder why they did it that way. There was a reason. Mm-hmm. During the pilot episode filming, right, this one mm-hmm. of Serenity, Whedon was arguing with Fox that the show should be displayed in widescreen. Ah. So he purposely filmed scenes with actors on the edge of both sides of the frame <laughs> so that they could only be shown in widescreen. You couldn't crop, you couldn't you you, you couldn't change oh. it to four three. 
I mean... He forced their hand. Yeah, he did. This led to a few scenes with later releases where objects or setups that were not visible in the original 4.3 broadcast were displayed in, in, in the full widescreen. Including, and this is documented in Wikipedia, <laughs> the scene where the pilot wash mimes controlling the ship with a non-existent steering wheel. <laughs> It's like, Wash, what are you doing? And so it's like we knew that they were going to crop the, sh- you know, crop it in four three anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think he got lazy at a certain point, and especially where Wash is just holding a steering wheel that isn't there. And Alan Tudyk is like, "Bet, let's do it." Like I realize there's an actual one over there, but you just want me to sit here? That's cool. But yeah, uh, so after Serenity, uh, Fox said, "You're not filming in widescreen. Like we are not broadcasting this in widescreen. You can stop. Give it up." <laughs> Mm. And he did, but he's still. I think he's still shot in widescreen mm-hmm. w- with the you know with the obvious intention that they were going to crop it later. Mm-hmm. But you can now watch the whole thing in, in beautiful widescreen on your streaming service. Yeah. So, so good job. <laughs> Fight the power. Yeah. All right. Let's talk more characters. So uh, Jane, did we want to talk about? Yes, Jane? I want to talk about Jane. <laughs> we we introduced him about five minutes ago. Songs about Jane. Mm. Well, I mean, you get a lot of Jane in those that exchange yeah. there. The man's got a you know f- filthy mouth. Yeah, he's he's a real tough guy. Yeah, he's a mercenary for hire. Yeah, like that's what he is. I feel most of the crew, which we will meet, is there for loyalty to uh, and like reverence, maybe reverence, but mostly like some kind of fondness for Mal. Um, Jane is only fond of money, but Jane also like has there's. There's like this, like, he's like a guard dog, right? He's mm-hmm. just like, you know, very aggressive and mean. But Malcolm has like a firm hand with him. Yeah. Where he's just like, Jane, stop. I have a, I have a clip of it, you know. They're, they're, at, they're at dinner, mm-hmm. right? And oh, yeah. they're just chatting about uh, things. And, and Jane says something horrendous. Jane, yeah, I'm going to play it. He's going to say an off-color joke about another crew member. Not who's a like joke. this sweet... You know, the sweet little girl. We'll get to her. Um, she's a fool. She's not an actual child. <laughs> but she, you know, she, she has the disposition of a young little girl. <laughs> but yeah, Jane says something inappropriate at dinner and Mal does not stand for it. Nope. Little Kaylee here just wishes you was a gynecologist. <laughs> Jane. Don't keep a civil tongue in that mouth or I will sew it shut. Is there an understanding between us? You don't pay me to talk pretty. Just because Kaylee gets lubed up over some big city dance. Walk away from the stable. Right now. What do you pay him for? What? I was just wondering what his job is. On the ship. Public relations. Hmm. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah. But Jane totally backs down. He's yeah, like, you, you will stand up from this table right now. Yeah, and he, like there's like a, a second of like hesitation, and then Jane just like gives you know folds. Yeah, I think part of it is one. Mal will kill him. <laughs> Mal has has no hesitation. Uh, and Mal don't play. He knows that Jane will take any opportunity to kill Mal if it benefits him financially. Yeah. So uh, so I think one of the main reasons Jane always backs down is one, he does have this kind of like, you're the captain. You currently own my paycheck. If you die, I don't get any of the money. And I think he respects Mal on some yeah, level. Yeah, on some level. Not, it's not a high level of respect. Not enough. <laughs> and okay, so I, it's like, 
but I just I want to praise Adam Baldwin. He's a horrible person in in real life. Uh, he's he's involved in some online circles that I do not respect at all. Mm-hmm. But he is so good at Jane. Yeah, like he he become like Jane is such a full fleshed out character because Adam Baldwin plays him so well. Yeah, you know, like he. He starts out like the stereotypical meathead, but he's very, very multi-layered. Mm-hmm. And I think Adam Baldwin really brings a lot out of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He is definitely a meathead, but he does have <laughs> some layers. And I, I, I think him and Mal have a great rapport. Yeah, I think that it's one of the funner, right? Because I feel like we're going to talk about all of these characters in relation to Mal. Um, because that's the important thing. And they do have one of the funner things more fun funner fun funnerest they have one of the funnerest relationships because um there's all that like tension of like we'll get along but i will end you (laughs) i'm I'm just waiting for you to turn on me so i can shoot you out the airlock spoiler alert (laughs) ariel no i'm just kidding it doesn't happen kids all right, and then of course, uh, let's talk more about Zoe in relationship, and re- because there's another character that is in a relationship with Zoe. <laughs> yes. Who is that? Her husband. Her Washboard. husband Wash. He has a first name. Hoban. It's his first name. <laughs> Hoban Wash Washburn. His last name's Wash. So Can he's I say- he's the uh, he's the pilot. So no, I think it's interesting that the actress married Fishborn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyway, you think that was a were they married at the time? You think that was like a, a joke? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, yeah. So Alan Tudyk plays uh, Wash. He's the the pilot. Yes. And he's married to Zoe. Yep. And he's like, I, I'm gonna play a club. We'll talk about. <laughs> it. I know something ain't right. Sweetie, we're crooks. If everything were right, we'd be in jail. It's just that the captain's so tense. The man needs a break. Fact. We could all use a couple days leave. We still gotta drop the goods. And when we do, we'll fly off to Boros, rich and prosperous. Well, less poor, but with enough to find some sweet little getaway. Oh, wouldn't mind a real bath. Yeah, a meal that included some form of food. So they definitely love each other. Yeah. It's a very sweet relationship. Yeah. But Wash is kind of like a... Like he's 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 a grown man, but he, he I don't know he's, he has a lot of like you know, man child tendencies. He plays with little dinosaur toys. He, you know, he talks to himself and pretends while he's piloting. You can you can call it man child, but I call it joy. <laughs> he, he, you you have to find some kind of joy in something out there, right? In the void of space. If so. Wash wasn't there, oh my gosh, <laughs> we need Wash on this plane. He is really the. Him and another character are these sons of levity yeah. on this ship. Yeah, the mood makers, if you like will. There, there's like a purity there. Mm-hmm. Like a you know, childlike purity that has been killed out of everyone who fought in this dumb war. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wash is great because, yeah, he always brings a levity, right? Like even in a dire situation, even when you see him sweating bullets while doing a thing and being like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like he's doing it in a way that he's trying to like keep his spirits up because he knows if he freaks out, everyone's going to freak out. And we can't, we don't have time for that. <laughs> he makes the most jokes. He does. I think he, yeah, he is the sense of like comic relief a lot of the time. Agreed. Uh, oh. So good. And the show explores his relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a clip I want to play here from from the same conversation. 
Just a couple of days lying around, you with the bathing, me with the watching you bathe. Well, the captain says it's all right. What if we just told Mal we need a couple of days instead of asking him? He's the captain, Wash. Right. I'm just the husband. Look, I'll ask him. Don't forget to call him sir. He likes that. Who likes what? It's nothing, sir. Great exchange. Yeah. Great, great scene. Yep. So when he's like, you know, he's he's talking real sensual. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to bathe each other. <laughs> and then she, like, in a second, immediately, well, only if the captain says it's okay. Like, bringing, Killed bringing Malcolm into their sensual <laughs> bathing meeting, you know, like, figuratively. And that's what happens in the show because there is that history between Zoe and Mal. Mm-hmm. And Al, uh, uh, Wash is always aware of it. Yeah. And I think he... They, they explore this, especially there's one episode where, you know, they, they really confront this, where mm-hmm. Wash feels a certain way about Mal's relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, it feels like, the, you know, there's like a third wheel or yeah. something. Which is understandable. So th- I also, like, love that, right? Because it, it would be so easy to make this just like, everything's great and amazing, but like, nope. Like, because... Because Whedon is so uh, not focused, but finds dialogue and character-driven things so important because they are like it would serve no purpose for this universe for them to just be like ah. And they do have a, a happy, healthy relationship because they talk through these things. They have differences, and you're able to see it. And I love it. I love them. <laughs> but there's this like tension yeah. underneath, you know. Uh, and I'm sure Wash feels very like insecure about it sometimes, you know, where Absolutely. it's like, hey, my wife spends a lot of time with this other man who she respects and calls sir. And there's like, you know, it's like, how am I supposed to feel about that? And that guy's also my boss. Yeah, I think it's it, it's such a weird place to be in because like that, like as a woman, I'd be like, it's my boss. I chose you. I had an opportunity to be, but I also get the insecurity there and how like some days and some moments it would just be worse. Um, but. And maybe, and Wash, I'm sure has the knowledge that Mal and Zoe had a romantic something. I don't something. remember if it's outright, if it's said or not, or if it is, maybe I just deleted it from my mind. Cause I was like, ew, I don't remember it, it being alluded to them having had a previous romantic relationship. Whatever their relationship feels, uh, it is explored further in the series. And like mm-hmm. that, that's like one episode I definitely remember, which okay. is like a, the Wash episode where he's like the main character. <laughs> uh, I'm glad he got his own <laughs> before the series ended. Right, we've met most of the, the, the main crew mm-hmm. of Firefly. The last member of the main crew is who? Kaylee. This shouldn't take too long. Just done for departure in about three hours. Grab any supplies we're low on, fuel her up. I'd sure love to find a brand new compression cloth for this. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to be the king of all Londinium and wear a shiny hat. Just get us some passengers. Them as can pay. All right? Compression coil bus, we're drifting. That's not bus then. Not a lot that like, you know. She doesn't say a lot there, but you hear that Kaylee is a, you know, expert mechanic. Gifted even. Yep. She 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 like talks to Serenity. Yeah. The ship. You know, she she's a great, great, great mechanic. She knows what to do, but also mm-hmm. she's like this sweet, pure soul. Yeah. <laughs> on this, you know, ship of of, <laughs> of Braggartson. 
Brickingtons. I don't know words. She's also, for all intents and purposes, Mal's little sister. Like they are not blood related, but that's his that's his baby sister. End statement. And which is one of the reasons why when um Jane said that several horrible things back to back, he almost got murdered. Very much murdered. Mal definitely respect like, you know, is very protective of his crew, but mm-hmm. Kaylee in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's almost like it's the innocence that he had and is gone and he wants to protect it in her. And he's the gentlest with her. He doesn't, like, <laughs> change his mind for stuff, but he is the gentlest with her. Yeah. And she's like, not, there's not much to say about Kaylee, especially in this first episode, but she is so sweet. She is the one that, like, more than anyone else on the crew brings people back to humanity um and like empathy and and stuff when even when other people are like i mean like i'm kind like wash like wash is kind and funny but like before anything else it's his wife and then maybe it's the crew you know but for her she's like wait we've got to help people or we've got to do this or i can you know like she is so important she is the heart of this crew yep and mal gives her a mission what does she what does he tell her to do keep my ship in the air oh wait find passengers find passengers because money off of they need money and that's one of the ways that, uh, other than scavenging, that's one of the ways that Serenity makes money is uh, they shuttle people from they, planet to planet. They also rent one of their shuttles. They yes. make money off of that. Yes, that too. So uh, she, Kaylee finds them one passenger. Mm-hmm. Who is that passenger? His name is Book. Shepherd Book. I'm a shepherd from the South Down Abbey. Book. I'm called Book. Been out of the world for a spell. Like a walk in a while. Maybe bring the word that them as needed told. Well, I'm Kaylee, and this here's Serenity, and she's the smoothest ride from here to Boros for anyone can pay. Can you pay or? Well, I got a little cash and, uh... Ooh, Grandpa. I never married. <laughs> he says that a lot in this episode. Yeah. People call him Grandpa. He's an older gentleman. Also, his name, his first name is not Shepherd. That's his title. Shepherd is like a priest in yes. this world. Daryl. So Daryl Book, Darryl who is a Book. shepherd. Well, people just call him Shepherd Book. Yep. That's that's my name for him. <laughs> shepherd Book. So he's this old monk who's been at the Abbey and is, you know, re-experiencing the world. But it's like, it's clear he was a, you know, a convert late in life or mm-hmm. something because he, he he lived a worldly life yeah like, he is street smart yeah street you see wise. it a little bit in this episode definitely like he knows what's up he knows how you know he, he he's got a keen eye for for the wrongdoings of the crew and, <laughs> and, and stuff like that like he's he he is constantly like you know trying to be resolute in his faith mm-hmm. but you know Walk a line. Yeah, he walks the line because he knows. Yeah. He's walked that life before. He knows that it's like not always black and white, that gray exists. Yeah. So Shepard is a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. And all these characters are so, so multi-layered. So, yeah. well, like, like even just this one two-parter episode, but even in that, like we're only talking about the first part of this two-parter and the characters are ridiculously flushed out. And uh, he he says, I got a little bit of coin. And then he says, I also have this. You find out that he's given uh, the crew uh, fresh strawberries. Yep. Because produce is hard to come by. Yep. Yeah. So that that's why Kaylee, like, oh, she, she's grandpa. like, oh, grandpa. Because <laughs> he has a bunch of fresh strawberries for her to eat. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. And uh, 
you you mentioned it. The 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 crew rents out a shuttle in particular. Like mm-hmm. they have a a permanent tenant kind of you know like a residency <laughs> on the ship for a character named who? Inara. We talked about her Cosmic. her casting, but Inara. Yeah. Ah, the ambassador graces us with her presence. Hello, Mal. I see we have some new faces. Hey, you. Hey, you. Ambassador, this is Shepard Book. I'd have to say this is the first time we've had a preacher on board. Well, I wasn't expecting to see a state official either. Ambassador? (laughs) I'm missing something funny. Not so funny. Ambassador's mouth's way She's a whore, Shepard. The term is companion. I always get those mixed up. How's business? None of yours. Love that. How's business? None of yours. <sighs> so, uh, Anara is a companion. Yes. And in the Firefly universe, a companion is like, it, yeah, there's an element of prostitution involved. Mm-hmm. She's a sex worker, but it's like this weird Buddhist, like, uh, uh, spiritual thing going mm-hmm. on at the same time. So, it's more of a spiritual experience than yeah. just straight sex work. Yeah. It's. There's probably like definitely a, a fan wiki about like the details of this, but it is like a religious sect. Um, yeah, and it's a well-respected yeah. profession in this world. Yeah, except for Mal, who's very old school, and for mm-hmm. him, it, like you know, hey, on the border planets, you're just a whore. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, and they also have history. There's, I, I'm telling you, there's some romantic history between no. them or something. No, there is a. It is the will they, won't they. That the, they don't the, have, they are just extra. Uh, Mal and Anar are extremely attracted to each other, but Mal cannot keep a civil tongue in his head, and Anara has way too much self respect for herself. Yep. Well, yeah, they, they constantly, there, there's something there going on. Yep. Uh, and, and of course, just the, the prospect you'd think of having a priest and a prostitute on the same ship together would create conflict but actually no anara and book are they respect each other quite a bit yeah very interesting yeah they have a really great meeting i'm just gonna play one clip from that meeting go ahead uh, just because i'm like this is such a great scene mm-hmm. it, it's something i i think you wouldn't see this in other television shows where these characters just get to talk to each other mm-hmm. yeah so would you like to lecture me on the wickedness of my ways i brought you some supper but if you'd prefer a lecture, I've a few very catchy ones prepped. Sin and hellfire. One has lepers. I think I'll pass. But thank you for this. The captain said you might like it. I was surprised at his concern. For a lowly whore. It was unjust of him to say that. Believe me, I've called him worse. And they, yeah, it's just like, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Shepard, Shepard's not a, you know, he's not bigoted and Nanara's yeah. like, you know. She's cool. She's also not like, uh, like you, if you come at me with the right energy, we can be cool. Yeah. You'd think Nanara would have like this, this big anti-religious vibe, but no, it's no. Mal who has that. Yeah. Because again, he's a man who lost his faith and Nanara has faith and it's not in the God he lost faith in, but it still rubs him wrong. And Book has faith because he's currently a shepherd of <laughs> the faith that he know that he uh mal himself has renounced like mal is just problematic <laughs> there's, a, there's i love a, him there's a dinner scene and i did not get this clip but uh they're about to eat and shepherd says oh it, captain do you mind if i say grace only if you say it in your head no do you mind if i say grace only if you say it out loud <laughs> oh okay that's yeah. it yeah whatever it is 
So, yeah, everyone has to pray silently. Yeah. Even Jane prays. Yeah. And Mal just sits there, just starts eating. It's a great moment. It's great. It's, uh, Mal is so, here's the thing. I will, I will give, I won't give Fox anything, but I will say this first episode, I wouldn't call Mal a coward. I wouldn't say, but he is, you can very much be like, this man needs therapy. Is there future therapy? <laughs> like he is. He's, I would say Anara's services are almost like therapy in this world. Yeah. Know? People are still rude about it. Um, and Anara is not offering any services to him because it's none of his. And, but like he's so rude uh, and unkind and unbending in ways that he could bend like what was with the quickest would just it's not going to bother you i mean it would bother him but you know i don't know but it feels so real like we know people like this so it's i i'm like i love mal because this is a person but he's broken yeah like with trauma that is unresolved and will yet continue to be unresolved because he's placed himself in a position of power that no one can really tell him to resolve it yep and the last we we met everybody but the last two members of the main cast. Yes, uh, we won't meet the last last one, but we can meet Simon, the, the penultimate one. Yeah. So what's his name? Simon. <laughs> no, Simon and Garfunkel. They're the no. Slim Shady. <laughs> Simon. You're a doctor, right? Oh, ah, uh, yes. I was a trauma surgeon on Osiris in Capital City. Long way from here. You seem so young to be a doctor. You're pretty young to be a ship's mechanic. No how. <laughs> Machines just got working, and they talked to me. That's a rare gift. Well, not like being a doctor, <laughs> helping fix people. That's important. Yep. So Simon's a surgeon. Yeah. Doctor. Yeah. Uh, he 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 got he got picked up as a passenger. Yeah. Being shuttled off to. Boros or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got some cargo. And he's real shifty. He's so shifty. When we were watching this last time, I was like, bro, obviously you're the bad dude. Like, what are you doing? Take those glasses off. <laughs> we're in space. It's only dark. Yeah, so you could tell that he's got ulterior motives or something's wrong with him, right? And, and obviously the ship's on edge because they're carrying illegal cargo on, on the board. You know, yeah. they're trying to keep it a secret from everybody. So they're just like... Really uh, suspicious of Simon. Simon, what's his name? Cat. Ka- I almost said Simon Cow. No. Tra- Tam. Tram. Tam. Tam. Yeah. So he honestly, he's kind of like a red herring in this first episode because yeah. you you learn that there's a mole on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't play the clip, but yeah, they they discover that someone like sends out a transmission to an Alliance cruiser that, hey, we're here and we have something something on, we have the illegal stuff on board. And Mal's like, who did that? How dare you know? And everyone thinks, oh, it's obviously Simon because he's been shifty this whole time. Such so a creep. he's a, you know, so he's an alliance mole who's pretended to be a passenger, and uh, yeah, we're gonna, you know, he's gonna set us up. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happens. Something else happens, but it's in the second half of the episode. Well, no, 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 it happens in the first oh. half. Oh, it's yeah, kind of like fair. where the cliffhanger is. <laughs> you. Everyone thinks obviously Simon's the mole, mm-hmm. and it's a misdirect because no, there's a there's another random guy yeah. who's just a passenger. He's just I don't even know what his name was like, but he's a very just kind of an un- unassuming guy. Yeah, he's the mole. So when Malcolm <clears throat> confronts Simon, he's like he like punches him in the face, 
and he gets him at gunpoint and he says, Hey, I know you gave us up. You know, what, 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 what's your end game here? What's the plan? And mm-hmm. Simon's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Cause Simon's kind of a little wiener. Okay. He, 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 look, look, he's never had to be in a physical fight in his life. And Mal is so rude and aggressive. He's a little rich kid. He is a little rich kid. Yeah, and then as soon as that confrontation happens, the real mole has both of them at gunpoint. You get like a you know Mexican standoff where everyone's got a gun on everybody except for Simon, who is at gunpoint (laughs) and on the ground bleeding a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, get on the ground. Get on the ground. Oh, you are making a mistake. You best get on the ground, son. The man seems my twitchy. I think everybody could stand to calm down a bit. This isn't your business, Shepard. The boy's not going anywhere, lawman. As I understand it, it's pretty cold outside. Not to worry. Put Lord Fauntleroy in one of the passenger cells. He won't make a peep. Get the hell away from that weapon! Do you think I'm a complete backbirth? You're carrying a fugitive across interplanetary borders, and you think I actually believe you're bringing medical supplies to Whitefall? As far as I care, everyone on the ship is culpable. Well, now. That has an effect on the landscape. Please. We're very close to true stupidity here. I got a cruiser en route for intercept, so talk all you want. You got about 20 minutes. Might have less than that. Yeah. Threaten me. For God's sake. You think I wouldn't shoot a shepherd? Back off! Just take the key! Get your hands off! Get in the hell down! Stop it! Please Stop it! Someone got shot. Who got shot? Don't know. Kids, you're gonna have to watch it to find out. You're gonna have to watch it to find out, kids. You're gonna have to watch it to find out. I guess so. <laughs> yep. So uh, that's kind of where it ends. Um, interestingly, this standoff scene, all the dialogue, I hear the Whedon-esque dialogue. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of scenes from the Avengers, <laughs> you know, where everyone's kind of talking over each other and addressing different members. It's like, you know, everyone in the room is standing at different places and it's kind of like everyone is talking and addressing someone else in the room. Yeah. And uh, the lawman, the mole, mm-hmm. uh, reveals that Simon is a criminal. That's why he's been so shifty. <laughs> he's not a very good criminal. You're not supposed to look shifty. <laughs> and so he's obviously got some kind of illegal cargo on board as well, in mm-hmm. addition to the illegal cargo that Mal and his crew are holding. <laughs> and you've got, like, you know, someone's got a gun on the lawman. And, and, and <laughs> even books and their leveling threats. Yeah, he's he's trying to calm everyone down. Yeah, yeah, do the the calming thing. But then he negotiate. Does, he does kung fu to to incapacitate the lawman. He does. He does, in fact. So he's a, he's a fighter. He's a scrapper. You know, just it goes to show another layer of his personality as well. He's not like you know a pacifist monk. Yeah, he can he can you know he can put him up if he needs to. He can throw those hands. And he does. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's yep. the first episode. There's. Yep. That's the first half of the first episode. and then Yeah, maybe- and it, it does end on one other cliffhanger. A mm-hmm. character gets shot, and it's like, oh, no, are they going to survive? And what are we going to do about these this criminal? And what are we going to do about this lawman that we've now got tied up in a room somewhere? You know, mm-hmm. The alliance is on our tail. He's he's revealed their, our location to them. And what- it's all Simon's fault. And we got to sell this these goods to someone who might shoot us, you know, so it's a very tense, you know, actiony situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ends with one last cliffhanger. And mm-hmm. this is where Mal is like sick of it. He's like, he's fed up with this whole situation because one of his crew members just got shot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Simon doctor, 
what is so dang important that you put us all at risk for your stupidity? Mm-hmm. What do you... No! No! Stay away from that! Ah. Where's the Fed? Secured. Shepard's with him. Seems to think he's not safe along with me. No! Well, let's see what a man like you would kill for. And he opens up Simon's big box. And what's in that box? A girl in a box? A girl in a box. <laughs> yep, there's just a, a naked woman. You don't see anything. You know, yeah. it's, it's done in profile, but it's just like a naked woman who's like in this cryogenic box. Yep. Who I guess has been frozen for who knows how long. And she's just unconscious in this box. It mm. is just like, what the heck is this? Because, <laughs> you know, who knows what they assumed where they were going to find. Like, you know, yeah. you know, stolen medical supplies or gold or guns, ancient, you know, artifact or something. <laughs> no, nope, it is a frozen woman in a box. Yep. And that's the big mystery for the rest of the episode is like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> We learned that it's actually Simon's sister. Mm-hmm. We learned relatively. Quickly. Yeah, and she she's like one of the big mysteries of the of the series. It's yeah. like what happened to River? Why did Simon rescue her? Really? Yeah. You know, from an alliance base or whatever. Yeah. And but like, shh, don't tell them. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those shows I really want you guys to watch. Like kids, I really do want you to take the time to go and see see search, search this out and watch it for yourselves. So yeah. I don't want to say anything else. I mean, that's that's Serenity Part One. You recommend it? Absolutely. I recommend it. Yeah. It is an incredible show. I re- watched the whole dang show. Yeah. It is short. It is very uh, short. Not, not because we didn't want it to be short. <laughs> it is short. So yeah, watch Firefly. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it's on, what is it, on Hulu right now? Watched, uh, yeah, I think it? we watched it on Hulu. Yeah. So it's 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 on Hulu if you want to watch it. Because Fox and Disney. <laughs> well, uh, someone bought the rights to Firefly oh. after. I, I'll talk about that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fox slash Disney does not own Firefly anymore. Okay. It's owned by a different media company who are doing nothing with it. (laughs) Anyway, uh, what did the world think? Firefly's debut episode on Fox, The Train Job, not what we just talked about, Eh. had an average of 6.2 million viewers and was ranked 66th overall of the the week. That's really low. It was a premiere on a Friday night. Yeah. But here's the kicker. Meanwhile, the debut episode of Fox's other new show, John Doe, which aired directly after Firefly, had an average of 9.79 million viewers and was ranked 28th overall. Whoa. So yeah, no one watched Firefly. No one watched it. It wasn't marketed very well. People didn't know what to think of it. And people rather would rather watch John Doe yeah. than Firefly. Do you remember John Doe? No. Me neither. I remember Jane Doe. Remember uh, Kyle XY? I do remember Kyle XY. Ratings continue to fall throughout the show's run, ending with an average of 4.7 viewers and ranked 98th in the Nielsen ratings. Serenity, the episode we just watched, Mm -hmm. drew only 4.16 million viewers. Wow. It's like one of the lowest of the show's run. Yeah, it's such a good episode. Firefly, surprisingly, received only average reviews during its run. Mm. Which, again, I think it had to do with how Fox decided to air it. Yeah. The Boston Globe, for example, described Firefly as a, quote, wonderful, imaginative mess <laughs> brimming with possibility. TV, meanwhile, called the show one of the best on television and one of and one, quote, with the most potential for future brilliance. I mean, I agree. 
Many reviewers, however, found particular issue with the series blend of sci-fi and Western. What? I think viewers, reviewers at the time were not ready for a sci-fi Western, which is weird. It is. But they, that, everyone brought it up as something that they didn't like. Ugh. The San Francisco Chronicle, calling the series a, quote, vast disappointment, felt that the melding of the Western and the science fiction genres was a, quote, forced hodgepodge of two alarmingly opposite genres just for the sake of being different. You're wrong. <laughs> it's really bad. Salon said the, quote, space as Wild West metaphor is fairly redundant, neither genre connected to the present. You're wrong. You just about a bunch of bad takes. And the New York Times in the, in the failing New York <laughs> Times, putting things into perspective, noted that the show featured, quote, an oddball genre mix that might have doomed it from the beginning. It was a character-rich sci-fi Western comedy drama with existential underpinnings, a hard sell during a season dominated by Joe Millionaire, which was Fox's hit show Ugh. about single women trying to date a oh, yeah. construction worker pretending to be a millionaire. Wow. Really? That was a dumb reality show. This is this is the 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 dawning of reality TV. Oh gosh, that sounds like a horrible show. American Idol was probably one of the biggest hit shows of, of this time period and people were not ready or willing to watch a sci-fi genre sci-fi western genre melding character driven comedy drama and it was also 2002 right one not a full like this <laughs> so, yeah. a year after it was it's, months after even yeah it just was not the right time <clears throat> yeah. for firefly unfortunately firefly has Nevertheless, garnered retroactive acclaim and a cult following. Yeah. Like, I don't have a lot of evidence to say this, but just look at the 97% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't talk about Rotten Tomatoes score all that much, but like 97% audience rating is really high. Yeah. So people like this show. I've, I haven't met a single person who has watched Firefly and hasn't loved it. Yeah. You have? <clears throat> yeah, one person. <laughs> well, they're wrong. They are wrong. They were a roommate of mine. I was like, watch it. It's just like, I don't get it. When is it going to get good? And th that was Serenity. Mm. And I was like, we can be friends, but we can't be TV friends. <laughs> <laughs> Common Sense Media, I think, summed it up well. They said, quote, with its distinctive vision, sharply written characters, and entertaining dialogue, Firefly is both unique and entertaining. This is true. Yep. Firefly did win an Emmy in 2003 hey! for Outstanding Visual Effects for a Series. It also won one Visual Effects Society Award, two Saturn Awards, and five Sci-Fi Genre Awards. Silent clap for them. And uh, where did Firefly go from here? <laughs> oh, man. I got uh, just a bit more uh, Fox meddling to, right. to, to run through. Let's do it. Firefly ran for a single season of 14 episodes eventually. Before I talk about why the eventually, any moments from the series uh, run that stand out to you? Important episodes or important moments from the show? All of them are important. Uh, the whole aerial thing. Uh, when we go to James' home planet and we realize that. <laughs> Jane Town. <laughs> Jane Town. That's my favorite episode. <laughs> you go to a, they visit a town where Jane is like this local folk hero. And they named a town after him. Oh my gosh! Two by two hands of blue. Um, yeah, that, now that's a uh, a reference to like these 
you know, Alliance G-Men who are mm-hmm. hunting down the Tams. Yep. And they're like this scary men in black type dudes. They're they're terrifying. Um, flashbacks of like little like Simon and River uh, are great. Like there's so much great stuff. There's just so much. So much. Everything about it is great. I'm a lion. I mean, obviously. Yeah, there's they're hunted by like a, a bounty hunter at one point who is like a character I wish like he's in the last aired episode. Yeah. And uh, we never see him again. Yeah. And he's like such an interesting character that like they We they, quote they, him all the time. They, they would have they would have brought him back if they had the chance. Right. Uh, I also the episode before that, which I feel like should have been the last aired episode if they were going to do this, was the one where uh there was just a bunch of flashbacks to how the crew came together mm. uh, because <laughs> Mal was dying. Uh, there's uh, Malcolm uh, gets married at some point. Oh yeah. The the really the breakout role for Christina Hendricks from yeah. Mad Men. Yeah. She uh her big her first big role was on Firefly where she plays Mrs. Malcolm Reynolds. Yeah. Okay. So I will be honest, right? Like there's some stuff that I'm thinking about saying that was one of them. Uh, but I also read a lot of fan fiction and there is not, there's way more fan fiction than there is Firefly stuff. So my brain was like, uh, did I read that in a fanfic or was that, is that canon? Uh, there's so much good stuff. Yep. So yeah, watch Firefly. I feel like basically every episode is standout and interesting. Mm-hmm. All Absolutely. right. Well, let's, let's run down why, why th- and how things happened for Firefly. <laughs> Fox canceled the show in December 2002 after only 11 of the 14 completed episodes had aired, citing poor ratings that they themselves manufactured. Yeah, so in in its initial run, only 11 episodes aired. That's so stupid, Fox. Yeah, three left on the shelf. Worth noting, Fox had also aired episodes largely out of intended order, making the overarching plot more difficult to follow. Oh, ram it, Fox. Yeah. Like literally, like I was looking at like the production order versus the aired order, and it's like they jumped around all over the place, you know. Uh. So things happened in a later episode that referenced things that happened in an earlier episode, but the earlier episode had not aired yet. You shot yourself in the foot, Fox. Yep. Okay, continue. The last episode to air on Fox was the original pilot Serenity, the one we just talked about. Oh my gosh. It was, what? It was aired as kind of like a season finale. What? Yeah, they they said, "Hey, see how it all began." I in a two-part series finale. Okay. This is making me really mad. Yeah. The final 3 episodes eventually debuted in 2003 on the Sci-Fi Channel. Yes. Sci-fi. Only in the UK. America okay. did not get those last okay. 3 episodes until the DVD. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I'm weeping. The show was only ever presented altogether in the intended order with its home video releases on streaming and as reruns on the Science Channel in 2011. Science Channel? Okay. God bless streaming sites. (laughs) Despite its short run, Firefly has fostered a thriving fan community, especially online. This was probably one of the first like big online shows. I believe it. Yeah. The fandom calling themselves, you know. No. Brown coats. Ah. Yeah. Absolutely not. I'm not going to call myself a Confederate. Thank you. <laughs> Notably used online forums to organize and try to save the series from being canceled. Yeah. The efforts included raising money for an ad in Variety magazine, huh. which they did air, 
And after the show was canceled, launching a postcard writing campaign to convince network UPN to pick up the show. Because hmm. UPN had success with like Star Trek okay, okay. spinoffs. Yeah. So if UPN had, you know, bought up the rights to Firefly and continued to air it, like that would have been a saving grace. But yeah. But didn't happen. No. Efforts by the brown coat directly led to the DVD release of Firefly, though, mm -hmm. which sold out in less than 24 hours after the pre-order announcement. Wow. All right. Strong sales of the DVD helped convince Universal Pictures to acquire the rights to Firefly in 2004 and begin production on a feature film continuation of the story with Joss Whedon at the helm. Yeah! Firefly as a media franchise really begins there. Yeah. But that's a story for a different day. <laughs> yeah, it is. So yeah, we talked about there's a movie that was made mm -hmm. we'll talk about that movie we will on we me will on media made so look forward to that next year wait 2004 no no not <laughs> next year a few years from now yes in real time <laughs> things didn't quite get better like it, it, the movie's good mm -hmm. but uh you know things didn't get better for joss you've already done the research i mean i know the story uh, behind it already that's so. fair anyway uh who won this episode. You, you won. Oh, wait. I, that's not what I said at the beginning. I think Jemmy Neutron was a really heavy hitter. And I think that that probably, that probably should have won. Nope. I forgot that I was going to play that card. I was going to say, Jimmy Neutron uh, definitely won the smoothest production award. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about like everything fell into place beautifully with Jimmy Neutron. It paid off for everyone involved. Right. Not the same for Firefly. No. But, but Firefly is a way better show. Yes. Uh, so Firefly wins for me as well. It's the best. <laughs> Good job, Firefly. It might be the best media we uh, talked about in 2002. Might be. Yeah. 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 That's not that's not a thing that, that yeah, we normally do. You're, you're but right, yeah. Firefly <laughs> wins the day. <laughs> it wins the year. <laughs> uh, next order of business, uh, runners up. Oh, right. yeah. Let me get to those. Speaking of runners up, um, I have to do a retroactive runner up for 2001 because uh Around 1999, we not only started looking at uh, TV shows that debuted in different countries, but we also started <laughs> looking at debuts of web series. Right. So because web series were becoming a thing, and Rod was on the internet in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, in 2001, the web series Strong Bad Emails debuted, which is a Homestar Runner cartoon, oh, and uh, that would have been a runner-up for 2001. So just want to throw that out there. Listen to our 2001 TV episode again, and pretend we mentioned Strong Bad Emails. <laughs> Um, okay, so for you, in 2002, if we weren't watching Jimmy Neutron, we could have been watching one of these three shows that were exactly the same, four sh one of these four shows that were exactly the same, Arena, Cheat, Cinematech, and Judgment Day. Now, if you do not recognize the names of those shows, uh, those were all television shows on the TV channel G4. G4 debuted in 2002. <laughs> Now, I did not start watching G4 until it merged with Tech TV to become G4 Tech TV and mm -hmm. eventually just G4. G4 took over Tech TV, <laughs> but it was a channel basically devoted to video games, yeah. all video game programming. So Arena and, and all the different shows were like its own little thing, you know, so Arena was a competitive esports show mm -hmm. where you know different teams would compete in different esports. So uh, I, I think Unreal Tournament was a big game at the time. That was a big first person shooter. You know, so people were competing in Unreal Tournament and like RTS games, mm -hmm. Halo. I assume 
So it was, it, imagine that. Like, no. probably the first <laughs> esports television show. And esports, like, it hasn't completely broken in the mainstream, but it's way more respected than it was in 2002. This is very true. So Arena was big. Cheat is a show that it, it was like a magazine on television. It was just <laughs> telling viewers cheat codes in video games and, like, tips and tricks. Hmm. And uh, I was... Me and my friends were reading a lot of tips and tricks magazines at the time. Yeah. So cheat was a boon as well, mm -hmm. you know, teaching you about Easter eggs and obviously just cheat codes in video games. A whole show about cheat codes. Wow. Um, Probably had more episodes than Firefly. Cinematech was a television show that just aired video game cutscenes. Oh. And cinematics. So it was like a, it was like v MTV, but instead of music videos, it was video game cutscenes. That's weird. Yeah, and I was introduced to a lot of video games that I'd never heard of because of Cinematech. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like they played like a lot of like Final Fantasy cutscenes and uh, like Odd World. I had never heard of Odd World mm -hmm. until Cinematech. Hmm. Yeah. So again, it was just like it's a show you put on in the background, <laughs> you know. And then Judgment Day which is the American name for a Canadian uh, uh, video game show called Reviews on the Run. Mm -hmm. It's a review show. So it's just, you know, sort of like, because Tech TV had X-Play, mm -hmm. and they would review video games and do segments and stuff. Judgment Day was the same thing. They would review video games, give it scores, and tell, hey, should you buy this? And it was hosted by Victor Lucas of the Electric Playground mm -hmm. and Tommy Tallarico, who is a huge video game composer. Uh, creator of video games live and they would just review video games oh. and so that was also good so <laughs> shout out to g4 none of those shows were able to beat jimmy neutron <laughs> Unfortunately, because i, oh, I didn't wow. watch it when they debuted but g4 was a huge part of my life and a lot of people of my age that makes sense what else you gotten on there uh we also could have been watching nickelodeon robot wars so robot wars That's nickelodeon robot wars is a <laughs> spinoff of Robot Wars, which is also a spinoff of BattleBots. Or th there's a whole. We tried to look up the history of those, and it's all very confusing. It's a nesting egg of robots. Robot Wars and BattleBots were the same show essentially. It was people made robots and they fought each other. <laughs> it was like Robot Wars was a lot of fun, and like a few years ago, even YouTube start people started uploading like Robot Wars episodes to YouTube, mm -hmm. and I would like watch them. Oh wow. Yeah, well, you were there. I was there, yeah. and I walked. I checked out. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, I watched that. I we we looked it up. There's only like four hour or six episodes of Nickelodeon Robot yeah. Wars, but I cannot confirm that I've seen them all. So, and if he had watched them all again, he we would have been talking about them. Yeah, we got Jimmy Neutron instead. We also could have been watching Monster Crush, which is a reality show on I think it was Discovery, where like mechanics would compete to take a stock vehicle of some kind and turn it into something else. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. It was like, hey, take this DeLorean and turn it into a functional hovercraft on water, you know, and it had to look like a DeLorean and then like secretly become a, a, a hovercraft, you know, and they, they did a bunch of like turn a hearse into a destruction derby car or I don't know. It was it was a lot of fun. You know, mm -hmm. uh, noticing a theme here. I'm transitioning away from, uh, cartoons. from cartoons to reality TV, <laughs> you know, so. But not that reality. Monster TV. Garage and had like a spinoff called Monster House where people turned, you know, they it's renovated a, a house 
into a theme. Huh. But either Monster Garage was great. It was a show I watched with my dad. It was, oh. it was a great little show. Cute. Uh, and the last show on your list is uh, I Love the 80s. VH1's I Love the 80s, which is a <laughs> it's a YouTube show before YouTube. It is a show. It was a retrospective series where every episode, it was like an hour long, and they would just talk about nostalgic things from the 80s year mm. by year, just like Media Made. <laughs> you know, and so it was like 1981. Let's talk about Pet Rocks and all this other stuff. You know, let's talk about the launch of MTV. You know, 1984. Let's talk about the, the Olympics. 1985. Let's talk about We Are the World in, in Michael Jackson's Pepsi campaign and mm. all this other junk. You know, let's <laughs> talk about micro machines and right up your alley yeah boglins and all this junk all of it right up your alley just recently someone tweeted that all of i love the 80s have been archived on archive.com i know what i'm going to be doing today oh i'm glad we skipped that one well i mean maybe that would have been better than okay. jimmy neutron be watching i love the 80s and then i love the 80s part do oh my god and then i love the 70s maybe even i love the 90s we're done moving on my <laughs> runners up uh, if we weren't watching for Firefly, we could have been watching Naruto. I definitely didn't finish it, but I watched a lot of that. Believe it. I didn't watch it in that language. I never, I, I had friends who liked Naruto. I never could get into it. Yeah. I know that there was a pervy sage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what was Roshi? <laughs> he was also a pervy sage. Yeah. Naruto is like, it's fine. It's big. It it's big, it's big. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, I, we also could have been watching Black Hole High, which is a Canadian show. Uh, well, okay, sorry. Blake, Ho Blake Holsey High is the actual term, I think. Uh, and it's a boarding school that has a black hole in it. And so things happen and they're a group of friends that fight against stuff that's happening to uh, kind of distort and end their reality. It's, it was fun. Sounds like something you'd like. It does. Uh, we also kept on watching Birds of Prey, which was also a series that ended after one season and wasn't a complete season, which was basically about, uh, I know they- It's DC. It's DC. Uh, so it's, but it was the daughters of villains, not necessarily so Joker? like- Joker? No. So like it was uh, Catwoman and Batman's daughter. It was like, like it's a, a mix of people and they just like lived in the city and did. So there's some really interesting episodes that I remember. And I really did like the show a lot, but it was canceled. And then they made a movie with that Margot Robbie. That is not anything like that. <laughs> It may be closer to the actual comics, but it wasn't what I remember. It was one of those WB shows, though, like CW style, like teen drama, mm -hmm. like like Smallville. Yes, except they were adults. They were not children. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we could have been watching Death Poet Jams, Death Poets Jams, which was a HBO uh, show that would just have spoken word competitions and not really competitions because nobody was like winning. It was just people coming up and performing their uh, poems. And I love that. Like, I still have a deep abiding love for um spoken word that, that poetry. is su such a sh your show yeah the it fact was, that it aired on hbo is even more your show yeah my um mom really loved it i think the host was common um the rapper and was it common or was it pharrell they both have very Pharrell's too young faces. at the time <laughs> i'm gonna assume it was common into those i think it was common because my mom really has a thing for common she thinks he is hot uh so I think it might have been, and it it was just it was just a really good show, and I enjoyed it a lot. And that's that. That is that. Plugs. You can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Mate Show. Vote in our polls. Tell us what your 2002 media was. Were you watching Firefly when it aired? Did you did you watch G4? Let us know. 
Um, you can leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us five stars. Tell us good things. You can buy us a coffee on coffee.com. That's K-O-F-I slash Media Made. So if you want to support the show, give us $5. You can go on coffee.com. The link's on our social media stuff. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at RodTheMaster, where I will retweet uh, pictures of video game characters. I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. Talk about G4. Hmm. I write about video games for a living. Uh, ZeldaDungeon.net. Tears of the Kingdom's coming out. If you want to get up to speed on that, go to ZeldaDungeon.net. And I host a YouTube wrestling show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. If you like wrestling, you can watch that. Uh, If you're looking for me, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Taming Tales on YouTube where I vlog and tell stories. Though right now it is kind of dead because uh, low levels of depression are real. Watch the episode where she teaches everyone how to make the perfect chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) And then make it. And And then make your perfect chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) All right. And that's that. You get to choose what song we're going to close out with. I have two choices. Mm-hmm. One is because we didn't talk about River Tam all that much. There's a song on the Firefly OST called Rivers Dance. It's kind of an Irish jig. Yeah. Uh, or or another song from the OST, which is called The Funeral, which features apparently uh, Firefly's trademark sad violin. <laughs> sad violin was a, a an element of Firefly, but uh, you get to choose. We're gonna go with Rivers Dance. Rivers Dance. Yeah. All right, and uh, we may have an episode between our next tr- traditional episode. You know, carry on the April Fool's tradition. So look out for that. But we'll be back after that with our movies of 2003. And remember, Fox, it was your fault. It was your fault. Bye, kids. See you, Space Cowboy. Bye.